Christian Maltzdisky. I'd like to be known as Skitch. And with a fake celebrities tagline. Kelly Wan, do you have a fake celebrities tagline? Just as fame is a mask that eats into the face, so is fake fame a fake face that eats into the mask. Wow, that's quite lovely. What's that from? Uh, someone on Scooby-Doo once, probably. <laughs> <laughs> rut row. Yeah. Well, speaking of episodes of Scooby-Doo, oh, what's a movie you watched this week, Kelly Wand? Uh, and don't make me regret asking you this. <laughs> no, I did pretty good. Did you watch the movie made by the guy who directed Troll Hunter after he made Troll Hunter? No, I did not. Well, what is it? Before I answer that in the affirmative or negative. Is it it's troll, called Troll Cleaner. Dingus, this isn't about that. I don't like you like that. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, it's called Autopsy of Jane Doe. Oh my God, that's oh. right. You know, here's my problem, Kelly Wand. I can only yeah. take so much Emil Hirsch, and that movie, I way too much Emil Hirsch for me. But the other guy, Brian Cox. Is. Brian Cox, come on, Succession, the greatest television show no, ever. I understand, and I love the concept. Well, okay, so tell us what is this movie? I also I didn't... didn't recognize Emil Hirsch, so I watched the whole movie. Not, I go, oh, oh that's that. that's the way to watch an Emil Hirsch movie. Uh, well done. Yeah, uh, I didn't realize that that was the Troll Hunter guy. What's that guy's name? Do you know offhand? Battle Dunstan take... scenes. <laughs> take that as a no. So while I look that up, tell us what this movie is, why you watched it, and what you thought of it, and whether or not it's for dingus. Um, you don't have to take him in that order. It's Andre not. like Overdahl or something like that. I don't know. Dingus sometimes has a weird zone where he likes something. Like he sees, he somehow focuses on the subtext that we didn't notice, like the weather or something. <laughs> Will you stop and, with the weather? Okay, so he didn't like the weather in education, but he, the needle could have gone the other direction. But it huh. still would have been that, like... Like the thing. Oh, yeah, that. Like he likes the – like Dingus would watch this and go, oh, that's a really cool tray that the bodies like. <laughs> I really like this movie. You guys really know me. All right, so it is for Dingus. Tell us a little bit about what it is and what you thought of it. It's a movie on Netflix that I guess came out in the theaters. <laughs> no, I don't think it had a theatrical release. I'm guessing it was a straight to online. I can't imagine it did. It was a script on this thing called The Blacklist, which is like oh. – yeah. Yeah, and the guy wanted to do a straight horror movie after Troll Hunter, and uh, he wanted to do an English language movie. And the thing I really liked about it, um, it's a horror movie. It's kind of got a, it's I don't know. I really like horror movies that take place in one room or one location. I think that's scarier. And so, like almost the whole movie is an autopsy. So they keep digging his body and finding stuff out about it. And the thing that makes it amazing is the woman who plays the corpse is a woman named Olwen Kelly and I guess she it's like the director said we couldn't have like a prop be the corpse because then you're not connecting with it you wanted to have a human being play the 
orbs. Like Weekend at Bernie's. What if it was horror? But she was like a yogi. Is that a word? If you're an accomplished yoga practitioner, X. Okay. That you, you're talking about the actress was. The actress was, and so right. she could control her breathing and her eye movement really well. So she could do really long takes and still look dead. Mm-hmm. So that that, was oh, cool. that's an important skill if you're going to play a corpse. Yep. And the audio design was really good. <laughs> like they look like just the sounds they make when Brian Cox is cutting and stuff. And then uh, turns out she's not all she appears to be. I don't want right. to spoil the twist, Tom. Right. Uh, uh, I, I, really I did enjoyed it. I did, and I did like the script. It, it's just I really have a, some casting issues with it, uh, and I don't recall. I recall like two it, people. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. A cast, I should say, excuse me, a casting issue with it. Yeah. Because I love the the chick in it. Like Ophelia Lovabond, I think is awesome. She's I, she should get more work. I love her. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. She um, has a thankless role. But Emil I, Hirsch, you liked him in uh, Joe. Or Killer Joe. That's that's about as much as I can take of Emil Hirsch, right? It has to be part of an ensemble thing. He's not trying to be likable in that. I don't like him when he, we're supposed to like him. But in this, and, he's kind of a doofus, and Brian Cox, I don't know. He's Brian supposed Cox to, was no, in, in this, he's definitely the lovable protagonist, and you're supposed Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Brian but, Cox is but, like, you know, I have to pretend I love him. So look at his acting. <laughs> well, well, Brian Cox, exactly. That's a, that really... My son... Flex's acting abilities there. Um, but I, did, I do like the script, and I'm not surprised to hear that it was a blacklist script because it's a solid idea. It would make a great short story. Yeah, uh, and, and not knowing where it goes, there's just some really cool reveals in the way that it unfolds. The the premise is, is, is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and so, Dingus, what this is is basically uh, Emil Hirsch. Brian Cox is a, a, a undertaker at a funeral home, whatever. And Emil Cox. Corner. No, no, they're corner. Both okay, corner. Uh, and Emil Hirsch is his son who. Uh, I guess is also like his understudy, Kelly Wan. Like he's he's gonna do his, he's gonna he works with his father, um, and yeah. so one night uh, a corpse comes a Jane Doe an unidentified corpse comes in, and actually Kelly Wan, refresh my memory. They have to do the autopsy by morning or something. What what's the what's the dramatic tension in this? Well, it opens with the cops coming into a murder scene and a whole family's committed suicide and they find this unscathed body in the basement. Right, right. So it's a murder. And then you cut to the corners and it's kind of setting up their dynamic because they're like looking at another body. And he's like, so what killed her? And then Emil Hirsch is dumb. He's like, uh, situation, (laughs) uh, something too far away from the door. And then Brian says, no, it's Zibidonitis because of this. See, ah, look at those grooves on the esophagus. So that uh, and that's all that that's so, the character introduction right there. Yeah, yeah. And he's supposed to, well, me and her's supposed to leave and hang out with his girlfriend. Right, he doesn't want to be there. He wants the night off. Right, but then he sees the cop wheel the body in, and then uh, he feels bad for his dad. He's like, I don't want to leave my dad alone to do all that work. So the girlfriend's like, Oh, you and your fucking Brian Cox plot line, God. <laughs> but actually, the girlfriend like. Do you remember what happens to her? Because it was the one thing in the movie where I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, because she, like the, long story short, there's hallucinations involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the girlfriend gets, is turned, it's like a hallucination monster ghost thing turns out to be the girlfriend. So she's killed. <laughs> That's not a spoiler. And then <laughs> they, uh, they kind of like, it'd be worse to go, no, and he's crying over the corpse. And it's like. It's never like, why did she come back? To the, it was never explained why she came back to the morgue in the middle of the night. Because most of the time there's like blackouts, it's three in the morning, and 
ghosts and shit. It's like, wait, why did she go back there? Never mind. Anyway, that's a little un, unexplained. And that, that's the sort of that's sort of like unraveling stuff. Like I, I felt like it just sort of fell apart. I, I just remember yeah. it not really all coming together. Like I, I remember it not living up to its cool premise. Uh, yeah. And that it's was like, my you're name. like, oh, that is a good idea. But then somehow the movie's not as good once you know what's going on. Right. Right. Yeah. Because right. it's fun because it's because it, you know you're watching a horror movie and it's the characters realizing they're in a horror movie. And kind of early on, Emil Hirsch is like, I think we should just leave. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, what? Come on, we gotta have this done by the morning. The police cop said the viewers like, no, dude, I'm telling you, the fucking slabs are opening. We're at, I, I, we should go. So, Dingus, the and reason I would something. I would say this isn't for you is I just think there are other things you should watch first. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a piffle. Yeah, I'll grant yeah. you. The the um, title reminds me because it's called the uh, autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah. Right. It reminds me when you said that's not that. a real name though. Uh, oh. Well, it's a term for an unidentified corpse. Shh, don't spoil it. For me. <laughs> wait, uh, wait after re- you explain what happened to the girlfriend, me explaining what Jane Doe means is a spoiler compared to what was you did? Was the original real-life historical Jane Doe like a boring person, like a wallflower? And they're like, we'll just call all corpses after her. <laughs> well, I think there was a John Doe first, and they had to think, well, what are we going to call it if it's someone? a female? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's weird uh, that he picked someone with as boring a name as him, or maybe as her maiden name. Well, the ca- the cadence of the the title reminds me of the disappearance of Alice Creed, which sounds like a uh, superior, is a superior movie. It's in the same on. row of movies on Netflix. Yeah. All right, is that one it, good? Yeah, that's an excellent. Yeah. You like movie. that one? That's yeah, I, I, I understand you like a little actress named Gemma Arterton, Kelly Wand. Oh, really? Oh, I haven't seen her in too long. Eddie no, Marsden well. is awesome in that too, as well. Like yeah. that guy can do no wrong. But, uh, uh, who's the young a... guy in it, Dingus? Do you remember? Oh, good lord, I don't remember. No, okay. um, I just remember that the director is named like Jay Blakeson or something like that. I don't know why I remember that. It just pops in my head, but I don't. Have, I have no idea who the young actor is. But uh, but just Kelly Wan saying um the autopsy of jane doe makes me think of the disappearance of alice creed well hold those and thoughts because oh sorry go ahead it's just the way the cadence of yeah hold those thoughts because i'm going to be bringing something else to the table a little relevant to that so but first dingus what's something that you saw this week all right so i'm gonna thing. get i'm gonna get in trouble with this or i would have gotten in trouble if we hadn't done a tv show last week I'm going to talk about a TV show I've been watching right now. Um, Four episodes. Yeah, good snork. I don't know. Uh, I'm really, um, and this is something I think Tom had kind of waved me off of a little bit. Uh, I'm really into the first four episodes of Ozark. Um, I I was super surprised to see that Jason Bateman directed the first episode um he's excellent in it it calls to mind sort of a fargo feel and it it has this wonderful uh one of wonderful is the wrong word um because that denotes joy and i'm not trying to or connotes joy i'm not trying to do that uh it sort of has this feel of like him balancing um uh desperation and survival as a character uh so i i 
I've been watching this show Ozark over the last couple of days because the other stuff I saw will relate to the three by three, and I don't really want to talk about that yet. That yet, uh, I'll talk about um, one of the movies I was going to talk about in my runners up, but I did want to talk about a, the about Ozark a little bit because I think that uh, Laura Linney, of course, I, I mean, I did I had no idea who was in it. Uh, it's great to see her just sort of pop up and go, oh, wow, Laura Linney. Okay, great. And and the actor, the acting is uniformly excellent. Uh, I think that the writing is fantastic. Um, I don't know where it's going. I have no clue. Uh, it got dark fast. Um, uh, it does have, the, there's a, again, there's a Fargo feel to it with a little touch of berry to it, maybe. Um, but I'm interested uh, to ask you, Tom, why you weren't interested in it. Or I honestly don't remember waving you off of it. I don't. I, if you'd have asked me if I'd seen it, I'm not even sure I would have remembered seeing it. So uh, I might have right. just watched the first episode and not been into it. And all I think right. one of the issues, Dingus, with bringing up a TV show, like, you, you can't... I, yeah, you're four episodes in, but I, I think an important part of a TV show is where does it end up bringing you? Does it right. fall apart at the end? Like, how does it evolve? Like, you're you're basically talking about the first 20 minutes of a of a movie without having seen it yet. So I yeah, would be curious to know what you think of Ozark after you've watched it. <laughs> and I think yeah, that's full. I think that's a fair criticism, actually. Um, but I simply ran out of time. But I think that I think that's a fair criticism because it could very well just the wheels could come off. And that thing uh, is, I will, I will tell you, is uh, an endemic problem with most TV, is wheels come off. TV is, yeah. is uniquely prone to wheels coming off, I would say. Do you think that's but because... movies can do it. Sure, sure, movies can, but uh, the, so a fellow who you know, Kelly Wan, named Ken Levine, uh, I think very astutely once said that episodic TV will inevitably break your heart. Uh, yeah. And I, I think there's something to that, and that's part of why I'm unwilling to do... What I think Dingus is more willing to do and lump together uh, television and movies. Like I still have a – I think movies are a distinct form of storytelling from TV partly for what Ken Levine's comment gets at uh, and also partly for – you know, you watch four hours of Ozark and you might think, wow, this is really cool. I want my friends to watch it. But then you get through the whole first season and you're like, oh, no. Guys, uh, Lost. Guys, Game of Thrones. Guys, Battlestar Galactica. Right. Well, that's, that's <laughs> my concern. That's, that was what I was going to ask Tom and you too, Kelly, is that do you think that happens because they weren't ready for success? There's any number of reasons. A showrunner yeah. change. They weren't ready for success. They were that's too much. They were anticipating success. Like, yeah, there's no talent. Uh, yeah. All right. Usually they didn't expect – usually when they sell the show, they're not – they go, these are the problems we want. We'll figure it out. We got right. it this far. Right. We're geniuses. My name's Damon Lindelof, and I approve this message. <laughs> well, I have a, I have a friend um, uh, who suggested that she wanted me to see this, this show and to talk to her about it because we've talked about a number of other shows, and she likes kind of dark stuff. Uh, her name's Mindy. And, um, and just being able to... I mean, I'm not watching it with her online or anything, uh, but every now and then we'll talk about some of the lines that I really like in the show because I think the show has some really solid lines, and I think Jason Bateman, um, I really love uh, in a lot of different things, both TV and movie-related, uh, can really carry this thing so far. 
but I think Tom is right to call me out a little bit. Is it limited or just a series that's still going? Uh, I think there's a second season. I don't know. I'm just watching the first. Because that matters too. Like if a cast member leaves or you change, like True Detective, every season's way different. I don't look into the future that way because that's going to spoil what's going on right now. And I need to have that. I I like that sort of weird uh, tension that goes on. Um, that would be ruined if you looked into the future of the cast and found out, oh, well, this person isn't there anymore. I hate looking up someone on a TV show I'm watching because they'll say uh, on IMDb how many episodes they're in. <laughs> so right. I'll be like, oh, wait, she's only in three episodes. they got episodes. their death episode. <laughs> That's how exactly. I found out about a justified character. I go, oh, Jesus. Well, <laughs> this definitely goes into sort of a – a justified or even um, uh, Winter's Bone kind of area, uh, which uh, kind of surprised me. Actually, it was it was it was cool. There's the, um, oh good lord, what's her name? Uh, there's an actor in it. Her name is Julia. She plays Ruth. Jane Doe. No, oh. no. She, <laughs> It's not Jane Doe. It's uh, Alice Creed, actually. Um, no. Um, uh, it, she she plays an actor Solved. that was uh, in, um, I can't remember her name, but she's this young actress. And she has this kind of uh, Jennifer Lawrence tough vibe uh, to her, but a little more tough. Um and I really, I really, really like that about her. And uh, and I know that once we get going on, her name's going to pop into my head. But uh, um, that's how it starts. Yeah, well, that's how it starts. Yeah. Just shout it out when you remember. So. In your uh, defense, like Infinity War was like half of a. So. It's just uh, uh, no Infinity War is a complete story. As far as I'm concerned, that's it. There's none of that other nonsense that followed. See, it's, it's it's Julia Garner, and the thing that we know her from is Mar- Martha Marcy Mamerlian. Um, she was one of the actresses in that, uh, and she plays a young character in this, who's very reminiscent to me of the character in Winter's Bone, uh, but a little a little harder. Um, She's in Last Exorcism Part Two. Does she have like kinky blonde hair? Yeah, she does. I, I don't remember yeah, that. she's the roommate in uh, Last Exorcism. Ashley Bell's roommate in Last Exorcism Part 2. So, yeah, I know oh. who she is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. I, I Written by a little fellow named Damien Chazelle, just so you guys know. Oh, I've heard of that guy. Yeah. Oh, uh, Tom, thank you. Thank you. Okay, yeah. All right, now my brain... First okay. man! <laughs> All right, your turn, Tom. Let's All right, on. so I actually watched a movie. No, I actually watched a few episodes of, of Three's Company. <laughs> this this month, so I'd like to talk about the no. Uh, so I I watched a movie that uh, I was super leery about, and it turns out that my suspicions, my reservations were well founded. Uh, in oh god, I don't even I should have looked up the year. I, I want to say maybe five ten years ago, uh, ten Pakistani terrorists basically drove a boat up to Mumbai. 
big old city in India. Uh, they they had grenades and, and assault rifles, and they coordinated shootings at different sites in Mumbai, specifically targeting Westerners. Uh, the the city's local police, which I'm a little surprised about this because Mumbai is no stranger to terrorism, uh, the police weren't equipped to deal with this. So these guys basically ran loose, some of them for like three days. Um, they took hostages. There were standoffs. When it was all done, they'd killed, uh, I think, 166 people, uh, and uh, nine of the ten of them died. So this obviously uh, is a uh, – it, it's hugely traumatic, too, because the city was under siege for this duration of days, and – Certain buildings were literally uh, under siege while this happened, and the way that it unfolded for them is very much like our 9-11, where we have one plane crashing somewhere, and then, oh my god, there's something going on in, at the Pentagon, and there's something at a field in Pennsylvania, and here's another plane at the Twin Towers. It was the same in Mumbai, in that it, there was a shooting at the train station, and then at a cafe, and then at their, this famous uh, Taj Mahal Hotel. Um, so... This was kind of Mumbai's 9-11. Uh, the terrorists were Pakistanis. Pakistan and India have traditionally had uh, serious tension issues. Um, so uh, there's a movie called Hotel Mumbai, which I think wants to be this incident's United 93. Uh, it stars, and I think this is to help sell it to uh, American audiences, I suppose, uh, listed amongst the lead actors are Army Hammer and Jason Isaacs. Uh, the real and, and so just to go ahead and spoil it, it's not very good. I think it's as a matter of fact, I think it's horrible for reasons I want to tell you about in a minute. Um, but the real reason, the 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 silver lining for me watching it is I don't remember this guy Dev Patel from Slumdog Millionaire, but I know he was a significant part of that. There's a guy named Dev Patel in Hotel Mumbai, and the guy is awesome. I just loved watching him, and I want to say more stuff that he's in. He was in a movie with Nicole Kidman called Lion that I now want to watch. He's in a Michael Winterbottom movie called The Wedding Guest. Uh, I just I, I fell in love with this guy. He's just so awesome. I, I loved him. He plays one of the, the service, one of the staff members at the hotel. Um, so this is uh, an account of the terrorist attacks, specifically focusing on the siege and the standoff and the, the, the murders that took place in this Taj Mahal hotel, which was an opulent place. The Pakistanis obviously targeted it because they could find Westerners there. They were charged with taking hostages. Um, and they thought they could take uh, Western hostages there. Uh, mm. So the the problem with this movie is it's a first-time director and a first-time writer, and it needs the touch of someone like Paul Greengrass doing United 93 or a movie called uh. 22 July about uh, Anders Breivik killing – the, the children of the summer camp in, in uh, Norway. It needs a lighter touch. This first-time writer-director, unfortunately, shoots this movie. A lot of it feels like a diehard. A lot of it is Army Hammer running around being heroic. Uh, the, the plucky cops uh, trying to get into the building and, and, and having shootouts with the, the terrorists. Uh, there's even, like, funny banter with the terrorists. Uh and it, and it just Ew. feels it really feels just uncomfortable because he also and it's written this way and you can't avoid it you know horrific things happen in this 
166 people can't be massacred and you, you like that's not something that happens in Die Hard for a reason. Die Hard isn't that tone. And in a movie where 166 people do get massacred, having a Die Hard tone from time to time that also shouldn't happen for a reason. It's it's inappropriate. Um, so I, I think as a first-time director, he just didn't really know how to work through this kind of sensitive material. So a lot of times there's like action music going, and it feels like it's playing for thrills. You know, like Army Hammer's like sneaking around, and there's a terrorist with a gun like right around the corner, and he sees him, and then he he runs away from the bullets that you know hit the ground at his feet, and it's just it's just nonsense in a movie that's about a deeply traumatic incident that happened to an entire city. And what's also nonsense about it, and I was a little worried it was going to be worse in this regard, it wasn't as bad as I was concerned, um, there's a movie called The Impossible about uh, Naomi Watts <laughs> and Ewan McGregor on yeah. vacation in Thailand when the tsunami, that Christmas tsunami hits that killed a quarter of a million people in Indonesia and Thailand. Uh, Go home, white man! Well, that that the, the the impossible is about this these two this these privileged white couple and the trauma that they experienced in this tsunami, thinking that their children might have been dead, or and then the husband thinking the wife was dead, and vice versa. Quarter million people died, most of them yeah. Indonesian or Thai, right. Southeast Asians, and and the impossible is a movie about two white people, and and it's. It, it, it is so preoccupied with their drama that the fact that a quarter million people were dying falls by the wayside, especially at the end where we're supposed to be uplifted that, oh, they're alive and they're together again. It really is an issue of this sort of white privilege. There's a horrible, horrible movie about uh, an uprising in some unspecified country near Vietnam where uh, – um, Owen Wilson and Lake Bell are a married couple. It's called uh, No Escape. And there's this this, this violent revolution uh, in this Southeast Asian country, and this movie is so concerned about, are these two white people going to get out? Oh, I hope so. And it just really feels weird to have that playing against the backdrop of this horrific incident that's afflicting people who aren't white privileged vacationers so it's like the writer didn't notice what was interesting about the stories well it's also like the writer felt he had to do that to sell it to an american audience and right. unfortunately he might be right uh because if this didn't have army hammer and jason isaacs i i, I mean I, that's how you sell movies is you uh. and, no, you do. Like yeah. this to get to get fun. So this is also one of those movies that when it starts up, and this will tell you a lot about a movie. There are literally maybe ten studio logos. You know, it's it's the sort of thing where this guy yeah. had to scrape together money from everywhere he could get it. And some of the studios he went to, I'm sure that he got money because he said, "Hey, I've got Army Hammer in this," or "Hey, I've got Jason Isaacs in this. He's a, he's a new captain in Star Trek. I've got these actors." Uh, and the, they were like, "Oh, okay. Well, we can sell. We can give you money. We can maybe recoup our investment if you've got that going." Um, so, Just so put you're right. Just for two minutes. And... Well, and that's that's to this movie's credit, it wasn't quite an issue as bad as The Impossible in that. Yes, it's super preoccupied with Army Hammer's character and his heroics, and and Jason Isaacs is sort of like defiant, like he gets taken prisoner, and he's super defiant to the the, the terrorist, and he spits in their face. And but to the movie's credit, it also has a very robust, and it gives him a lot of time, uh, Indian cast, including Dev Patel, uh, and the the. The, unfortunately, the very ending of the movie is all about did Army Hammer and his wife and their baby get out? Like that's ah, supposed hey. to be like the main thing. But just throw them in there, like Liv Tyler in Lord of the Rings. 
I, I mean, I, Kelly Wanda. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I think to tell this story, uh, to do it justice as far as the, the actual traumatic event that it was rather than a thriller, I, I agree with you. But I, I think the poor, the first, again, a first time writer director, he probably had to sell it to some of his financiers as, as a thriller and, and shoot it that way. I mean, you, you know, you can still do that with Indian. It's an Indian thriller. I don't know. Well, I don't think you like can, Kelly Wand. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, really don't a, think. There, there is a, I mean, uh, it is interesting to hear you talk like this about this like this, Tom, because uh, of how we've talked about financing for movies, especially especially from Asia, especially from China, and how uh, how those movies are grounded there, but still have uh, Caucasian stars in them. I don't get that. It's more interesting to me as an audience. It really is. If it's the other culture, like I watched a Paranormal Activity knockoff this week that was like a Egyptian. They were like Egyptian people called Warda. And it wasn't that good. It was just totally like... Kelly, one, how much money did Warda make in the U.S.? I don't know. <laughs> I'll bet how I did. It make? And I bet it was zero. <laughs> um, did the... Uh, I forget. the. Yeah, um, yes. It's called The Impossible? Yeah, yeah, The Impossible. Is yeah. that directed by the Monster Calls dude? J.A. Bayona, yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. I remember liking the beginning of it, sort of. Oh, no, it's a great right. action sequence. That tsunami is fantastic, and Tom Holland is great in it, and certainly Naomi Watts. And oh. it, it, my, my problem is just that its approach to telling the story of the tsunami. And You know, that's the thing, Dingus, is one of the – Kelly Wand, let's go ahead and grief you on this again. There's a movie called Vinyan, which is also about a, 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 a white couple <laughs> who's lost a child in the, the Christmas tsunami. And there's a reason it's about this white couple instead of the other people who were – whose lives were destroyed by this and that's part of the point of the movie is here's here's the relevance of a white couple losing their child and here's how we're gonna have this story unfold with this white couple like i, I love i don't get why i'm the exception because you haven't seen vinyan <laughs> no no i'm saying i'm saying i don't get why i don't like why i want to watch the no no i i too. no i like, agree I don't with understand you. why everybody's not like me like right, fair enough <laughs> fair enough but kelly Wan, you're you're a little too smart for your own good Damn you're a little, too, you're a little too discriminating. Though. That's what I'm saying. I just feel like they're being really dumb. Like that just seems. They're not being dumb. It's they're like making. Totally... They're being dumb for. So I, I would agree no, no, with you. The audience. I'm saying the audience, the public. Oh, the audience, right, right. Okay. Not the filmmakers. Yeah. Well, it, we all we have to look at is uh, who got elected president to explain. Yeah, that that's how that works, Kelly Wand. Mm. Um, white so, president, white protagonists. <laughs> But, but again, that's sort of that's not my main problem with that Hotel Mumbai. I, I will say that that was one of the things I was pleasantly surprised with. Even though most of the characters are kind of caricatures, there's like I mentioned the plucky local cops. There's the noble service staff who are sacrificing themselves to save their guests. Uh, you know the the goofy gunman banter stuff, which is nonsense. Uh, but it's Sorry not all. Duct. It's not all about. Army Hammer as, as a white guy. Here's another thing, by the way, real quick that bothered me, and then let's do our three-by-three. Three. Uh, there's a scene in the end of the movie where our main heroine, who uh, – she he, Army Hammer – Our is, Hammer. Is, Army Hammer is married to an Indian woman, and they're visiting uh, the Hotel Mumbai. That's where she's from, and they've got their new baby. Um, and they uh, – the, the wife is taken hostage, and one of the, the terrorists is told – uh, and this is actually kind of chilling, and this is how it unfolded, is they were in satellite communications with uh, the equivalent of their Osama bin Laden in Pakistan the whole time this unfolded. And the guy was watching on TV and giving them orders and talking them and, and you know, giving them speeches and 
like encouraging them to do certain things. So these guys were like in direct communication with this murderous psychopath who had been training them to, to do this for, for a while. So one of the kids, he's on the phone with this the terrorist leader, and the terrorist leader says, okay, uh, execute all the hostages. So in Die Hard, this is where John McClane would come in and, and save everybody, but because Hotel Mumbai is a little confused, sure enough, it's super gruesome. He shoots some of the hostages in the head while they're pleading for their lives, and then he gets to the heroine. And you're expecting, well, okay, she's going to have some kind of plot armor on at this point. So she starts reciting, because she's a Muslim, uh, she starts reciting uh, what's called the Salah, which is just the, the Muslim uh, prayer. When they do their, their, their prayers, they're reciting the, the tenets of, of the Islamic faith. She starts reciting that. And the kid who's going to shoot her is like, no, stop, don't, stop saying that. Like suddenly he is halted in his tracks because he realizes she's a Muslim. And he even says over the phone to, to his leader, she's reciting the Salah. I can't shoot her. I can't do this. And the guys say, no, shoot her anyway. And so the, the kid telling her, stop doing that. And she won't stop doing it. She's, you know, she's convinced she's going to die. She's resorting to her faith at this point. Uh, she's still affirming that God is great, which is a, religiously a, a, a remarkable thing. It's, it's beautiful. But this kid won't shoot her. So the kid pretends to shoot her by just firing the gun off into the corner so that his, his boss uh. hearing over the phone thinks that he shot her. And then the kid runs. So the kid spares her, which maybe from a script point could be a cool moment but what drives me batty about this these guys aren't doing what they're doing because they're muslims and they furthermore just killed a hundred over a hundred people 166 people most of whom were islamic and they knew that like these people have that's part of the problems with calling terrorists islamists or islamic extremists they are not true adherents of islam and if they were you know, most of the people who are victims to what are called Islamic terrorism are Muslims. And it's not like these terrorists have any compunction about killing other Muslims because what they're doing, they're doing out of a perverted understanding of their religious faith. Uh, so the fact that this terrorist kid who has just taken part in murdering 166 people suddenly decides to spare one of them because, oh my God, she's a Muslim – that just rang so false, and it just was so annoying to me that the writer, again, first-time writer, first-time director, this was the plot armor he was going to put on this woman. Um, so, eh. Anyway, Hotel Mumbai, <laughs> if it had been a straight-up thriller, would have sucked less, uh, but it sure is no United 93. So. God is great's a dumb thing to scream when you blow yourself up. Uh, yeah, sure. Make, that's a stupid point to make in that way. <laughs> the funny thing, Kelly, one is I think saying Allahu oh, Allah Akbar. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's that uh, sounds it, better. It sounds better in Arabic. Well, it's 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 really. I mean, it, from a religious perspective, it's it's a beautiful affirmation, and unfortunately, to Western ears, it's what you say when you hit a suicide, blow up a suicide vest that you're wearing. Uh, talk about a perversion of 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 Islam. Um. Yeah, the affirmation that God is great, and it's something certainly that Christians and Jews understand. But no, when Muslims say it now, we associate it with them blowing themselves up, and that's just that's just based on a misunderstanding of why terrorists do what they do. It's not the fault of the religion. The fact that the it's religion a, is perverted is uh, like that's or has been perverted by 
It, well, yeah. it, exactly. Like someone, someone takes the the people who do this are, are generally, and it's the people who the the Saudis who hijacked uh, the planes on 9/11. They tend to be impressionable young kids from a very specific demographic who are basically following a cult leader, and these cult leaders are no more representative of the religion than any other cult leader who's who's expro who's appropriating religion to sway people to to trick them basically. All right. Yeah. They should go. When I do it, I'm gonna go. What's this button do? <laughs> Wait a minute. Wow. You're gonna do a suicide, Kelly Wan? No, don't. We need you, Kelly Wan, to do the synopses. I can't allow you to do a suicide bombing. Sorry, you don't get permission. I want something that'll be a good quote. Kelly Wan, speaking of good quotes, I would like you, stupid terrorists, <laughs> to tell me. Come up with your own material. Your yeah. third favorite fake celebrity. So uh, the the. The, the basis for this was in the movie Star is Born, which I think we all liked to varying degrees. <laughs> part of what made it work is the fact that this fake celebrity, uh, Winston Granger, whatever uh, his name is in the movie, uh, was played by an actual celebrity. And it works. It's great. And even Lady Gaga is an actual celebrity. Like once her She wants to fuck Winston Granger, Tom. Every well, woman does in that universe. Uh, if if played name. by Bradley Cooper, He's... I can't blame him, right? I guess I did. <laughs> so at any rate, Bradley Cooper's character in Bradley Cooper's character in Star is Born is, I think, a really cool fake celebrity. He's playing a fake celebrity, but he's doing it really well because he is himself a celebrity. So I want examples from you guys of fake celebrities. And I think what Dingus tried to do, and certainly what I tried to do, is come up with people who weren't good as fake celebrities because they were already celebrities but for other reasons but however if you just like celebrities basically playing themselves with new names i want to hear about that as well so kelly wand what is your third favorite fake celebrity my third fake celebrity is uh chris tucker's ruby rod from the fifth element ah now it, okay go ahead tell us more because when i was first watching the movie when he shows up midway through the movie i'm like oh this movie jumped a shark what the fuck is this guy doing and then the more it goes on he kind of has a lot of chemistry with bruce willis in it and i realized it's actually it was better once he got into it but i also like him because he's a pussy hound who acts gay which i thought was an interesting concept <laughs> like the future celebrity and what's his character's <laughs> name ruby red ruby rod <laughs> well okay his okay. catchphrase yeah. it's a little green a little on the nose, as they say. Well, no, yeah, and he's a blonde black person in a an Eddie Murphy jumpsuit, played by like Chris fucking Tucker. a stewardess. Yeah, Chris Tucker. Sure, yeah, yeah. doing Kevin Hart, but like uh, his catchphrase <laughs> is the word green. He's like, yeah, green. He says green when something's cool, exciting. And That's, so he's I don't get like, that. That's like that's like Vince Vaughn saying anchovies and dragged across concrete. I don't get that. That's true, but he's always talking. He's like just doing patter, and he has like a walking stick that's a microphone. He's all, and he comes up to Bruce Willis. He's like, Bruce Willis is like the topic of his show or whatever. He's like, what do you think of that, man? And then Bruce Willis is all thrilled, sits down. And then Chris Tucker's face is like, fuck, God, ruining my shit. He's like super angry. Bruce Willis isn't being exciting. It's great. What's interesting about that, Kelly Wan, is that it's science fiction, so it's a... Uh, like, like Luke Besson has more of a free reign to create the kind of celebrity he yeah. wants. Uh, which, Idiosyncratic. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah exactly. Star Wars could use more 
Ruby Rods is all. Oh I'm well, saying. I think the Cantina Band. They're they're like the Beatles in Star Wars, right? Yeah, but they don't talk. <laughs> like, are they all? Would they act like Chris Tucker? Yeah, they no, are. No, they're the and, Beatles. Uh, they're super cool. Yeah, they're. Jeff Patel knows all the Cantina songs in Yesterday, by the way. (laughs) Wow. Star Wars doesn't exist in that movie, the universe, (laughs) because lightning strikes him. So he knows all guys, Cantina songs, and then he gets it's famous. I don't. Um, I don't really care for the Fifth Element, to be honest. Uh, You guys can. Thing is, it's love, brah. Yeah, whatever. Spoiler. Um, You spoiled Autopsy of Jane Doe and now Fifth Element, Kelly Wan. Nice job. That's two for two. but I think it's a pretty brave performance because it's just – it's totally, like, free. It's just Tim yeah. – he's okay. he throws everything out there. And I think that, like, that green thing was probably something he just threw out there. I can imagine that not even being part of the script, just something that he threw out there. And, and Luke Besson was like, uh, yes, let's keep that. I mean, he's I the just, bubble in Valerian of this element. Yeah, that's that's not a bad uh, correspondence to it. Um, And I didn't know him at the time. Uh, I I need a fun black character for this part. But he's he's just got this weird sense of freedom, and I love it when actors can do that. Yeah, uh, because it's not easy to do that. And he has to do action sequences and stuff. He's screaming like a lady. Yeah. (laughs) But he also has to control the room. And uh, and I re- and I I like this choice. Yeah. Does the camera follow him around, Kelly Wan? Is it like a reality TV yeah, kind of at thing? First. Okay. okay. I'm curious if it's the same camera when they're getting shot at and stuff. He's like screaming. Ah! Terror. All right. Well, Dingus, what do you have to follow scared. that up? What's one of your What's your third favorite uh, fake celebrity? Very successful man. All right. Here's a quote from it. Uh, it's as if I've taken love heroin, and I can't ever have it again. So this is from the movie um, Notting Hill. Oh, fuck. Uh, what's wrong? I hate that movie. I hate you for saying Notting Hill. I Kelly Wan, I don't oh. even hate it because I haven't even seen it. So I don't even know enough about it to hate it. Are you jealous? I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy in a bookstore. Is that from Notting Hill? Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> that's not the line. I know, but I know the line from the cadence. Like, I know what not, what silliness. I had no idea that was from Notting Hill. Yeah. <laughs> Let's break up. I don't trust this feeling. I, uh, you I'm, did the wrong thing. Oh, wait, so someone is a town. Someone so, in Notting Hill is a celebrity? Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in an Ocean's 12 way. Well, uh, you know, I originally watched it because uh, I forgot that, you know, I hate rom-coms, so... I well, I don't. I love them, actually. I want to murder them all. I'm a total sucker for them. They came together yeah. is the ultimate one. Tom, Tom had brought up, like, the, the rom-com... Just uh, fuck already! <laughs> That's what I'm thinking when I watch Fuck someone else! Problem solved. Okay, Tom brought it up. Tom bought, brought up the rom-com formula when we were talking about... Uh, what movie were we talking about a few weeks ago? Probably a romantic Long comedy. Shot. Long shot. Yeah. Long shot. Or, uh, uh, right. right. How, much, how much he liked the way the movie played with that. And so I was just watching Notting Hill thinking, well, I'll watch this. Because what what is, what's going on is that, um, that she, uh, this famous actress that I'm not going to mention, is playing a famous actress in this movie. But this doesn't qualify for... The topic, as far as I see it, um, so I almost gave up on it early on because I realized, well, it's 
Come on. It's Julia Roberts. Stop it. No, it counts. No. What? what counts is that she's in a movie. She's supposedly this celebrity. Yeah. Um, but not – she doesn't consider herself a very good actress yet. Um, That's and, not part of Tom's And so she's uh, – She's in this weird science fiction movie called Helix, and the lead actor in it. Stop is, making it sound good. Is, <laughs> you're making me want to see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're tricking. You're trolling Tom right now. Making him excited. Uh, is Clark Peters? Um, Clark Peters plays the guy who plays the lead actor in Helix, and you only see him in one scene when he's in a. Oh my God! Movie. I remember it now. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Dude, like it's a montage top and then it like goes in slow motion on Julie Roberts' face while love music plays. It's so bad. <laughs> Alright, continue doing it. Sorry, continue. So, it's good to do, do you guys know who Clark Peters is? Do you remember? <laughs> no, sorry. Alright, so he's Harry from John Wick. He's the guy that like John Wick drags um uh drags her what's her name? Uh Yeah, the guy from the wire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah. He drags her out in the hall, and he's like, do I know you? And he's like, I'm thinking you do. And I didn't know who Clark Peters was, and I certainly didn't know who Clark Peters was when I first saw Notting Hill in 1999. Uh, So he was far from a celebrity to me. But he's playing this guy who's the lead actor in the movie. Is he supposed to be like a Morgan Freeman or something? No, I don't think so. I think he's supposed to be an action hero. Uh, But uh, Hugh Grant is pretending to um, uh, to interview all these people for a magazine called um, uh, Horse and Hound uh, <laughs> because he just That's winds up, good. he winds up in a to you know to coin what Tom was talking about in his in the thing he watched this week Three's Company he winds up in this sort of weird like uh, I guess I guess gotta play along and pretend to interview all of these extra whoopsie daisy peoples. yeah and yeah, did you just say whoopsie daisy? Uh-huh. Nobody, nobody says whoopsie daisy. Be cute. Yeah, I I love that. Yeah, bigger feet, dingus. But it was so great to see Clark Peters uh, after having seen him most recently in John Wick. Uh, well, also three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Remember, he shows up at the end there as the cop uh, who's right. coming in to take over. Like that's I think where we most recently saw him. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Uh, but in 1999, I would I would have had no idea who he right. was. Right. But he's playing 20 year anniversary. Of he's Hill. playing the lead actor in this in this major motion picture, which is probably along the lines of I don't know. Uh, lockout. That, uh, lockout. Exactly. I think that that's probably Julia Roberts. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Montage music. Uh, oh, what uh, a murder that movie. He's, God. He's he's, uh, he's he's listed as lead actor. And it's Clark Peters. Oh, he from... doesn't get it. Like they don't. They don't give him a, a lead actor, action hero name. No, no. In, oh. the, in, the, in the IMDb thing, it's just lead actor. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, that's because that's one of the uh, things that I was curious about too. Is what uh, what names were the celebrities given? Uh, so yeah. yeah. What's Julia Roberts' name? Yeah. What is her name in that? What's her name in um... Notting Hill? Notting yeah. Hill, the movie you just watched. You know? <laughs> What's the main character's name in it? <laughs> Who's famous and everybody knows it, so they say it all the time in the movie. Excited, like Winston Granger. Her, her name and sadly, is... I know what Bradley Cooper's name was in that movie. What is it? What is it? Am I close? Jackson Maine. 
Because I thought that was a funny fucking name for him. Like, that's the most famous name in music, Jackson Maine. Her name is Anna Scott. And he's a country singer. Who is that? Anna Scott. Uh, Boring. And, really? Yeah, that's all he can come up. That says that speaks volumes about the script of Notting Hill, as yeah. far as I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> Scotting name, Hill, more like. Hugh Grant's name. I mean, he, his job is uh, he owns, <laughs> he owns a travel bookstore. <laughs> yeah, but no one ever comes into. And his his is name it, is William Thacker. Oh, see, now he should have been the action Certainly. hero. Yeah. Uh, and his yeah. roommate is. Is I think Reese. Oh, maybe I have seen this because I know. Yeah, well, I, I, certainly. Yeah, I, I know uh-huh. that. I, I doesn't remember it because it's so bad. Well, the funny thing is, I remember Reese Fons playing the best friend in a romantic comedy. Yeah, but he I has never... gray underwear and he comes out of his house. Maybe I've just seen clips flexes, of it. Okay. Uh, and he wears. He, and he like tries to help get. Uh, you know, he walks yeah, in Reese on her is... when she's in the bathtub. I mean, there's a lot of cute stuff. It's a cute movie. Yeah, uh, that's But true. I found it really. It was moving. It was moving for me to watch this week. I don't uh, like you know, I didn't like Julie Roberts until closer, I think. Yeah. Oh, all right. I can understand that. Then I was like, hey, wait, she's great in this. She's it was just... moving for you to watch partly because what, Dingus? Because yeah. of what you talked about, Tom, about romantic comedies. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you haven't seen Isn't It Romantic then, the Rebel Wilson deconstruction of romantic comedies? No, I have not. All right. You know what? Check it out. You should. It's by the, the a young lady who also wrote a movie called Booksmart. Has either of you seen that yet? No, I will watch that. Though, You're both fired. It's not a comedy. No, right, I'm, busy, no. I'm busily watching. Hook it up. Part of a TV series. Oh yeah, Dingus is watching Jesus. television instead of Booksmart. All right, you're both fired. Wait, <laughs> but I, I have like to rehire you for blocks. the rest of the three by three, so you're rehired. Let me tell you about my third favorite celebrity. This celebrity's name, I don't think we ever know her last name, but her her first name is Mia. Uh, and she's not a celebrity in most of the movie. The movie is basically an origins story for her. And what I like about her as a celebrity, first of all, is there's a cool bookend where there's a celebrity in the first part of the movie, and then she's in that part in the second, in the end of the movie. Uh, but it's a, it's an origin story about a celebrity, and kind of the point of the story is even though she's like a big famous person, um, the nearly magical element of being in love is a fundamental part of who she is and what has shaped her life. And it's a little movie called La La Land, where Emma Stone plays this not-quite-celebrity who becomes a celebrity at the end of the movie. Jesus. That's mad on me. <laughs> uh, There's a mute cute I spill shit out of and storm off twice. Hawk, horn, no, he you, does, no it's, it's at an audition she gets stuff spilled on her. Kelly Wand, have you seen La La Land? No, you're dumb. He, she's. He doesn't spill that- stuff on her. He does. He he walks into her at work. She's like a barista. Oh really? Yeah. He really? Tell me more about yeah. Lolan. Go ahead. Explain the scene to me. Yeah, is that how's she's that? She's a barista on a studio. Right. Right. Lot, I see. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's right. a customer. Oh, I see. Then. Why is he a customer? So the, so not only does he run into her on the freeway, and then when she's leaving the party, she walks into where he's playing jazz. He has been to the place where she works as a barista prior to that as well. Yeah. Wow. So. What a what a coincidence. I'm, yeah. I can't believe I never noticed that. All the times I've seen La La Land. <laughs> Kelly, will you sing Iran now? 
don't understand. <laughs> Kelly Wand, a random dude story. runs into her at her work when she's having to leave to go to an audition. And so the gag there is she has to do the audition zipped up in this big heavy coat to cover the fact yeah, that her yeah. shirt has – But he, that, Ryan Gosling, Sebastian didn't do that to her. No, it's just some random dude. Yeah. yeah. The first time they meet is on the freeway <laughs> when he flips her off. The second yeah, time I'm... they meet is when her car has been towed and she has to walk down the hill and she's walking past where he's playing uh, piano and she walks in and sees him. The I third time they it, meet, I really thought it was Gosling. <laughs> yeah, well, the third time they meet then is the the pool party, is the the summer party where yeah, yeah, she yeah. requests Iran. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, can I pretend that he's the one who spills it on her? You can. That can, yes, you can do a fan edit of the movie. Because then I thought, oh, she still likes his music. Hey, he spilled stuff on me, but he's an incredible pianist. I'm gonna go that in is there. one of my favorite scenes when she requests Iran and he's just like a really serious. Yeah. <laughs> She's trolling him. Well, that's where I think that's that's Ryan Gosling's favorite move is to shake his head disapprovingly. No, like that's crazy that right there. Nobody squad. Nobody does that as well as Ryan Gosling. Like that's his that's his superpower is to shake his head disapprovingly. Crazy, madly loving people. What's the other word? I want to watch that scene again now. All right, so uh, La La Land and I. It's wait. I'm sorry. I totally cut you off uh, with my spilling. Why well, no, no, that's – I just I, – I'm just happy to be able to get La La Land in there. But it's, it's basically just the fact that I, I love that movie so much and I love those characters, and one of them goes on to be a celebrity, which isn't necessarily the point of the movie. The point of the movie is that they grow apart, yeah. but one of the things that makes them yeah. – I think the main thing that makes them grow apart is that they take different career paths, and hers involves being a celebrity. Uh, and, and none of that, by the way, is material to the movie necessarily because then the movie does that – just insane fast forward many years to show us this moment where they're reminded of what they had and that great musical finale that uh that's the end of the movie so oh god that's just a heartbreaking thing that's great you say it's heartbreaking but it's also i mean dingus i just can't like like i love the fact that damien chazelle leaves us with them giving each other neither of them is heartbroken they're wistful like they give each other these looks Uh, and these kind of smiles that neither of them has been broken by this but they're both sad and they're at a place that they're happy to be but they're sad that it's without each other Uh, I like romantic movies that end in disaster or at least La La Land (laughs) I like Moulin Rouge too those are not romantic comedies when they end in disaster Kelly Wan that tends to be called a tragedy (laughs) yeah that's like King Kong yeah Hamlet great romantic comedy that'll feel you a bit King Kong is my favorite romantic comedy (laughs) yeah Arthur's a good one. All right. Well, Kelly Wand, who is your second favorite fake celebrity after uh, Ruby Rod? This is my favorite one in a way because I don't know what my number one is yet. I have to pick one of these. Like my number two is Solid Bro. This one's – I love this one. You should too because it's it's Rutger Hauer. (laughs) Well, I don't know what you're talking about yet, but I love where you're going. You don't? What does he play a celebrity in? You, can you think about it? Do you know? Hold on. Oh, it's Blind, he plays a celebrity. Blind Fury. He plays a celebrity. No. Ninja. No. Do you know uh, Dingus? Either of you have seen this. It's one of my favorite movies. It's an incomprehensible movie. No. I don't I think I've seen no, it then. No. You've seen it. You have. Is it Soldier of Orange? Like his early. No. What then? I don't know. Here's the thing. He made it right after Blade Runner. Here's your hit. This is when he comes off Blade Runner. Maybe. Nighthawks? No. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's before that. Uh, man, I don't know. What would it be? It's the motion picture. I got to tell you who else is in it. Okay. John Hurt. <laughs> Craig T. Nelson. That's the giveaway. Poltergeist? 
Oh, <laughs> right after Poltergeist, too. This is the follow-up to Poltergeist and Blade Runner. They go, hey, let's make this together. <laughs> Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster? I don't know. if I haven't, I've never seen a Burt Lancaster movie. I, don't, I would have no idea. My local hero. Well, I don't know. Meg Foster, the girl from uh, They Live, I think. Is it V, where they eat lizards? <laughs> With Rucker Hauer? Oh, no, no, they're lizards and they eat mice. I don't maybe, know. Maybe I you, I'm starting to think you haven't seen the movie. Is it a Star Trek movie? Meg Foster's in a Star Trek movie, isn't she? Is it that? I don't know. No, Kelly that's Kirstie Alley, fool. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> or Nichelle Nichols. I can see, yeah, Meg Foster's got brighter eyes. Okay, okay, yeah. Brighter eyes, brunette. Uh, I well, don't know what this movie is yet. Yeah, it I was have... Sam Peckinpah's last film before you oh. No? All right. I don't know. Yeah. No I think Bruce Garrick will know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's The Osterman Weekend. Oh, uh, yeah. It's not a Robert Ludlum novel. Bruce will know. I know the title, but I'm, I'm, I'm positive. Oh, uh, you ever seen The Osterman Weekend? It's Why would I so see that? Retarded. Well, Patrick. Because it's just Patrick. funny as shit. It's such a weird plot. And, like, he, and Rucker Howard's a Johnny Carson talk show host. <laughs> Like a late night talk show host? It's, what? Yeah, a funny. Yeah, exactly. He's a hysterical comedian. <laughs> and the plot of the movie is, Burt Lancaster kills John Hurt's. John Hurt's the CIA head, <laughs> and so due to some some kind of confusion between Burt or some kind of evil espionage between John Hurt and Burt Lancaster, uh, they tell Rucker Howard, "Hey, all your friends are Soviet spies." All your famous celebrity friends. I think I've heard of this going. Nelson, the producer. Right. Meg Foster, the famous actress. You know, they're all spies. And so we need you to go to the week, like hang out with them over the weekend for some reason. And then they attack them. Like they, there's like, everyone like turns on each other. It's like the big chill, but they're all assassins. And Craig T. Nelson's like a martial artist. This fucking martial arts in it, Craig T. Nelson. Right after Poltergeist. And this is, is this a Sam Peckinpah movie? Is yeah, this, and it was, and he is hated. This Robert me. Ludlum or Ken Follett? Robert Ludlum, and I read Ludlum. the book. I, I read a few Ludlums, and uh, he was Rodney Dangerfield's neighbor, by the way. And then, oh, of uh, course. Yeah, yeah. and um, it, the, it, the movie makes no fucking sense. But wait, I was gonna say, I don't know. It's just dumb. So Osterman Weekend with Rutger oh, Hauer oh. as a Johnny Carson analog. I love that. Sam Peckinpah was was like considered he was alcoholic and his health was failing and he so the, no the studio didn't want to use him and so they put him on it and it's like the, the shoot was a fucking nightmare and he was he hated the movie he was super drunk all the time and the movie made no sense <laughs> and there was like a huge sex scene at the beginning with John Hurt the studio's like what the fuck like test audiences walked out and so he was like fired it was his last movie well now I gotta uh, see this you're t- definitely making me want to see it yeah and he said he put according to Wikipedia this is, I don't I don't know this but like he'd shot scenes where the characters make fun of the movie and the studio <laughs> took it out and recut the movie around it so it's all oh, straight no. And it's the most ridiculous, like, it's psychotic plot that makes no sense. It's so complex and convoluted. Like, who the fuck is doing what? Why? Who? John Hurt? Well, that's got to be why I haven't seen it, because I never, like, nobody ever told me, hey, you should see this. It sounds like it's it's a mess. It's a huge mess. And the fact that the Rutger Hauer is the star of it as a Johnny Carson talk show host <laughs> is, like, the most, one of the most exciting things about it. So what is his character's name? Is it Osterman? His name's John Tanner. No, Osterman, I think, is... John you know, Tanner. John Tanner. Yeah, good. John Tanner. Like, <laughs> Hell Tanner was the Damnation Alley guy. Sorry. 
<laughs> Let's do that, but not quite as dramatic, right, John? Tanner. Yeah. And Tanner Boyle was Bad News Bears. It's a very uh, or after King of Comedy. Do you know? It was right. I think it was the same year. Okay. Because some of what you're, it just reminds me a little bit of. Uh, I don't know what it is tonally. Is it's it? like if King of Comedy was a Robert Ludlow movie. Right. <laughs> okay. There was no uh, De Niro character. All and right, Rutger Hauer is. Craig T. Nelson doing martial arts. John Tanner, I like this. Dingus, what at is your... At the end of the show... Oh, never mind. Or at the end of the movie, they, they have to show an episode um, of the show, and then John Hurt comes on as his guest and goes, Ben Lancaster's a murderer! And then the whole thing turns out to be a ruse that Rutger Hauer's doing to go rescue his... They, have his, they kidnapped his wife and son, and it turns out he pre-taped the episode. So while Sneaky. it's on, he goes in with a gun and like shoots down everybody and like saves the wife and like that's how he tricks them. This that's his like, awesome thing he does. Like, it's just this side of what's up, Doc, as far as tone is concerned. CIA just... didn't know he could do that. <laughs> oh, he pre-taped it. Fuck you, Rucker Hour. Damn it. Yeah, it does sound like whatever you just said. You All right, just, I'm sorry. It just sounds like you could tip the needle slightly and it would become a comedy. I had, to describe, I had to tell you what Rucker Hauer's superpower was, Tom, like how he wins the day at the end, as is Johnny. Like Johnny that's how Johnny Carson would do it with a machine gun. Right, oh, right. pre-tape it. All right, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'll stop talking about Oscar Weekend. All right, Dingus, that's a tough act to follow. I'm glad I don't have to. What do you got for your second favorite fake celebrity? Awesome. All right, so um, here's a quote from it. Three, uh, man. I led you here, for I am Spartacus. And I'm a sucker for this movie, and it's another romantic comedy. Sorry, guys. Uh, it's that thing you do. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. You fucking idiot. You're dumb. <laughs> All you like is dumbness. What's wrong with you? How do you live like that? All you like is dumbness. What's All wrong you like you? is dumbness. God damn it. I, I know I'm stuck with Gosling. Isn't it suck with Gosling saying that to you? All you like is dumbness. Uh, I, I'm a total sucker for her, that thing you do. I just love the, I love the performances <laughs> in it. I know, I know, I know. I, I hate that, man. <laughs> Is Have Tyler in it? it? Yeah, uh, parts of it. It's unbearable. And I think well, they trained to do the music for it. Bob Hanks and everybody. Well, the the ending is terrible because the the you don't you just don't believe that these characters would want to kiss each other. <laughs> you don't believe anything about that. I always who are, believe. Who are the leads that want? Who are the leads in this romantic comedy? Like who who has to want to kiss each other? Uh, so um, the 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 celebrity that I'm choosing. I mean, I could I could go three different ways ways with this, and I'll talk about all three of these people. But uh, but my 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 choice my because you're Jennifer Love Hewitt you're, no your choice for the first thing uh, your choice was an actor or a character right so I'm I'm choosing the character of Guy Patterson who's sketch uh, who is who I talked about earlier uh, and the actor is Tom Everett Scott um, this is his, the first movie he did uh, and um, so he plays this budding celebrity who is a drummer, and uh, Jonathan Skake. Now that guy I like. I know who he is from horror yeah. movies. He, yeah, he, he's a good guy. Um, uh, has you know has a band, and they're trying to figure out the name of the band, and the the running gag through the the movie is that they're they're they finally 
call themselves the Wonders, but he wants to spell it weird so it looks like the Oneaters. Um, and uh, their lead drummer, who is played by uh, G- Giovanni Rubisi, breaks his arm and just goofing around with his friends just because he's, he's being a ding-dong. Um, so they need a new drummer, and uh, a guy who works at his father's uh, appliance store <laughs> um, is a drummer, and and he hasn't played in a band in a long time. So they get him to come in to, to play with. They're like, okay, we, we just need you to play this one gig with us. It's a, it's a local talent show at a high school. Uh, but we're playing this ballad called That Thing You Do. Um, and no, it's too fast. Slow down. Slow, they're practicing. Slow down. Slow it down. But he knows innately, and he's kind of a jazz drummer. He's in a jazz and whatnot. Uh, he knows innately that this is an upbeat song, regardless of how the lyrics are written. Were written by uh, the lead singers, uh, the guy who's the leader of the band. And so when, it, but the the way the song is structured is that it starts with the drum beat. So the the drummer kind of sets the tone for the song and in a sort of a jerk move uh guy patterson just goes with it at, at this talent show he's not i'm not gonna i'm not playing a, a, i'm not playing this slow song this song needs to be bum 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 i mean he just <laughs> goes sounds like a terrible whiplash uh it is kind of a terrible whiplash but i can't choose whiplash because that guy's not a celebrity uh uh, but it has a lot going for it a lot more than you think and um a lot more than you might remember and what what i love about it what really wins me over is that um tom everett scott in creating this guy who eventually becomes a celebrity because the band becomes this uh, like number seven on the Billboard charts, and they're freaking out. They're having a great time. Um, they become celebrities. Is that he just he knows how to drum, and I really love I love it when you can see musicians or actors actually playing their own stuff. I really love that. We had a three by three about that, and Tom Everett Scott knows what he's doing. He's got like a little tiny drum kit, but he knows what he's doing. But more than that, he just has such joy in what he's doing. Uh, and in that first performance in the high school talent show, uh, or in the in the talent show at the high school at night, um, he's just so happy and just so full of exuberance. And it's infectious because the other choice would have been uh, Lenny, who's played by Steve Zahn, um, who is just clearly like, Oh yeah, that's the way this song should be, and he's just when you watch the movie, Lenny is just so happy. He's just so happy to be carried along. And there's this moment during the bridge of the song where Lenny turns around. Lenny's the lead guitarist. Um, Steve's on, and he's like, "What's going on? I don't even know what's going on right now. This is awesome. You're you're the luckiest man alive." And he turns around and he's trying to get. Uh, the lead singer kind of to get into the vibe of it, but he won't, but he's just, he's just got such a, the, both of them got such exuberance. Um, 
but I would choose uh, Tom Everett Scott for that. Uh, the, uh, the, the I agree with Honey, by the way. Would be uh, would be Del Paxson, who was played by a guy, an actor named Bill Cobbs. He's a jazz pianist, um, uh, but not a celebrity by any means. Uh, but my favorite, ce- my favorite, my second favorite celebrity is Tom Everett Scott playing Guy Patterson. Kelly Wan, should I see that thing you do? <sighs> see, do that right thing you do, <laughs> Spike Lee's. Uh, I recently watched a, a violent. Uh, like super bloody thriller about uh, these paramedics who uh, they're they're trying to save like they they get called out to an accident and they they put the guy in the ambulance driving in the hospital and he dies on the way but it turns out he's got like all this money on him so these paramedics it becomes like a treasure the Sierra Madre where they end up trying to like steal this money for themselves but then it tears them apart. And the lead paramedic, I'm watching this movie, I'd never seen the guy before. The movie's terrible, it's really dumb. But the lead guy, he's really, like, got an easygoing vibe to him, and he handles the comedy of it very well, and he's super charismatic. So I looked him up afterwards, and he's some dude I'd never heard of named Tom Everett Scott uh, in, in this movie called Danger One, uh, where he plays a paramedic. So I know who that is, Dingus, believe it or not. Yeah. You seen that movie with Saved by the Bell guy where they – Trying to get a roommate to commit suicide so they get straight A's. Don't know that one either, I'm afraid. Yeah, my my uh, Tom Everett Scott knowledge base is, is pretty narrow. Is at he on point. Sports Night? He was also in the shitty sequel to American Werewolf. Hmm. Well, you're, you might be right about that. Julie Delpy. And uh, he's fine. He's okay. He All right, a, he's not just okay. He's really good in the movie, it's, except for uh, being unable to convincingly his Liv Tyler. He's like a better Gutenberg. He's like a rich man's guy. <laughs> Ew, gross. That's not the sense I got in the one movie I saw. I, I really liked him. Like I, uh, I was like, yeah, that guy's... Uh, yeah, he is likable. Yeah, That's true. So. Well, I think Tom Hanks was looking for somebody who would evoke him at a younger age. Right. You feel like he's not acting. He's just a, just a chill bro. <laughs> Kelly, one, do you think Dingus has a romantic right. comedy for his number one pick? I think he hasn't seen any other genre. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me tell you guys about this movie. So uh, it opens with a radio voiceover explaining how Taylor Swift uh, has just died. And it happened suddenly. We don't know why. And in order to keep fans from freaking out and going to the, the place where she died, she's been taken to an unspecified hospital pending an autopsy. And while this radio voiceover is playing, there's a shot of an orderly in a hospital uh, pushing a gurney down the hall. There's, a, there's a, a, a body on the gurney with a sheet over it. And he rolls the gurney into the morgue, and he pulls the sheet back, and there's Taylor Swift's corpse. And he pulls out his phone, and you just see – you don't see his face. You just see him from, like, the hip down – uh, and he snaps a picture and then puts the uh, the sheet back. And then we cut to these two ruffians coming to the hospital. These, these like, super, just rambunctious, like, jerky 20-year-olds. And we meet them where one of them is talking about – he sees these other girls in the emergency room. He's like, hey, see those girls over there? They're Chinese. Uh, you should always try to fuck Chinese girls because they're always ugly, so they're grateful for it. What? So, so right away you're like, geez, this guy's a dick. He's worse than that kid in Jurassic World who was hitting on other girls while his girlfriend wasn't there. This guy's a jerk. He's a dumb racist. Dumb before any racist. And, and his buddy, too, is with him. He's kind of like, oh, that's not cool. Like he's, his buddy's super milkwash about standing up to this kind of thing. So they're there, and they're, they're at the desk, and they're saying, hey, we're here to see our, our, our friend uh, who, who works here as an orderly. And 
so the friend finally comes up to the front desk and he's like, you guys come with me. And he ushers them down to the morgue. And it turns out that he's the guy who snapped the picture. And, and they're like, okay, so where's, where's Taylor Swift's body? You know, we, is she really here? Are you just kidding us? Was that a real picture? And the friend is like, yeah, come over here. Check it out. So they go into the morgue and he pulls the sheet back and there's Taylor Swift's body laying on the, the, the gurney and she's, she's totally naked. And these three guys who at this point are super unsympathetic in the movie are leering at her and start you know, touching the, the corpse. And one guy's hand goes like straight up to her breasts. And it's, it, these guys are just like feeling up a corpse at this point. Right, and right. they start talking about, I wonder if you could still fuck her. Uh, and one of the guys is like, really? No, that's weird. But then the guy who called them over confesses to them, you guys know what? I hate to – I." I've fucked corpses before. There was this girl who was brought in. She couldn't have been more than 16. And with a little spit, it worked. And it was awesome. Uh. And so the other guy who said Chinese girls are ugly, so they're grateful when you fuck them, he's like, well, we should we – should, I'd love to say I fucked Taylor Swift. We should, we should do this. <laughs> with and an asterisk. one guy uh. kind of has reservations about it, the milk toast guy, but he still lets him do it. And what happens is – this movie about these horrid people abusing yeah. a corpse, and the subtext of this movie is basically about uh, – part of the subtext is uh, feeling uh, the, this sense of entitlement you have towards celebrity and feeling like you know somebody. <laughs> oh, and and right. it's doing this with uh, yeah. a corpse. And Now, obviously it can't be Taylor Swift, that. but, but yeah. that's the kind of celebrity they're going for. It can't be Taylor Swift, so uh. – they have a fake celebrity, and in the voiceover, it's clearly they establish that it's someone who's super famous, who's super kind, not like a, a wacky Lindsay Lohan person, but somebody who obviously, as you're watching the movie unfold, and you're watching her corpse being subjected to this horrible thing, who obviously doesn't deserve it. Um, so th- this <laughs> like movie, Lindsay Lohan does. This movie yeah. becomes about just these these what happens with these kids having the, this fallout and how wretched they are and despicable and just reprehensible people and things go wrong. But throughout the movie, of course, this young lady's corpse is here playing a fake celebrity. And the fake celebrity's name is Anna Fritz because it's a Spanish language movie. This is not an American movie. And the movie is called The Corpse of Anna Fritz, which puts me in mind of the autopsy uh. of Jane Doe or Disappearance of Alice Creed, which we were talking about before. Uh, and it does also remind me of autopsy of Jane Doe in that it's all set pretty much in this morgue because once something goes wrong and it has that stupid thing where somebody falls and hits his head and oh god we accidentally killed him it has so they can't they know they can't get help because they'll get in trouble for what they've done and the whole time this actress that they hired to be the corpse is just like a, a, a naked lady's body sitting there the whole time is kind of a centerpiece to this horrible drama unfolding uh, amongst these three terrible characters uh, so uh, it's this fake celebrity, you know, played by a woman who plays a dead body. Uh, the fake celebrity is Anna Fritz, and it's basically about uh, the abuse of women and entitlement people feel towards celebrities and how men are pigs. Uh, and uh, I, I like this movie a lot. It is dark. It is shocking. Uh, and it's Spanish language, and nobody's heard of it, and it's called The Corpse of Anna Fritz. So she's my second oh, favorite Spanish celebrity. Spanish people. They're Spanish. Their names are things like uh, – like one of them is named Pau, which is P-A-U, which to hear that is like, wow. This is so the cool. racist guy gets Chinese as a Spanish person. Gets what? He gets what? 
the guy who says Chinese girls are ugly, he's a Spanish character. They're all Spanish, yeah. It's a Spanish movie. It's okay. uh, set in Spain. Yep. And so there's no – obviously it's not Taylor Swift, but that's clearly the Dude. kind of celebrity they're wanting to evoke. Yeah. yeah I wa- nause- right. It's actually nauseating to hear you describe it. It's uh, And the director is a, a fellow named uh, – I want to say – Vincus draws the line at death. <laughs> well, there there have been uh, like movies. There's like a movie called what? Dead Girl. Uh, like there are definitely movies about necrophilia. necrophilia. <laughs> uh, yeah, that. And and this is that without trying to Child like make it. Yeah, like this movie's making no excuses about how gross that is, and and it's not trying to make it like scary or ooh, isn't it titillating? Like I was it's trying really... to think of movies that have it. There's not that many. Well, I think reanimator. Generally, what what yeah, on. generally what'll happen though is it'll be like about someone dead. Like the, Joe Dante's last movie, this horrible thing called My Ex Girlfriend, with unfortunately Anton Yelchin uh, as this guy oh. whose girlfriend dies, and she comes back from the grave, and she's all rotting and falling apart, and she wants to get back together with him, and that's basically a form of being ew. Isn't necrophilia gross but titillating? Uh, Begin at Bernie's he has sex, and the girl says it's the best sex he's ever. Bernie gets laid in Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, you don't Jeez. see it though. You oh see God. her reaction excited after. Wow. Right. Well, that happens in Clerks too, actually. Kind in of. Clerks, sex. someone has sex with a corpse. Yeah. Dead alive, it's corpse and corpse. Oh my God. Fucking zombies. Man, all right. It's more common than we realize. <laughs> but also, well, uh, Kill Bill as comatose. Oh yeah. well, that yeah, that's not neg- right. Right, that's that's Twin uh, Peaks. Yeah. That's that's comophilia. <laughs> All right, so we are now Vegas, down to. Please don't make jokes about something so serious. <laughs> really offended right now. Sorry. You're a sick bastard. Uh, we are now down to our favorite. I apologize. Our favorite fake celebrities. Kelly Wand, you said you weren't sure what your number one was. Uh, have you decided yet? Because this is now time to say. Yeah, I, I had two other ones, and then I went with a last second switch off Dark Horse that I, wasn't even on my list. It's pretty exciting. But. Um, you know how I always say how in bad movies there'll be like some really good things sometimes. So it's dumb to like not watch bad movies because then you'll miss seeing. Like... Dev Patel in Hotel Mumbai, sure. Exactly, exactly. And then you discovered it, and it's like, and all the time you're still learning. Like, well, I mean, if you want to write, maybe it's more interesting than if you're just sitting there. I'm bored Kelly, one, I, I have never seen a movie that I didn't have at least one reason for being glad I watched it. Really? Because Notting Hill for me was a huge bust. <laughs> Risa Fons, I'll tell you right there. Risa Fons, I think you even said it yourself. Come on. Yeah, that's true. See? Okay, so the Risa F- yeah, that's a good point. But, wait, what was the one I hate more than that? I don't know, anyway. Uh, <laughs> in Mystery Men, I really liked, uh, it's not a very good movie. I'd be curious to see if it came out now instead of then, after superheroes are dumb. But I really like Greg Kinnear's character in it as the celebrity uh, superhero Captain Amazing, where he wears like a bunch of decals on himself all the time. Oh, like NASCAR stickers or something? Yeah, he's he's like got sponsors <laughs> everywhere, and he's he's totally it's totally like a gig to him, and like he's talking to his agent. He only, I think he only has like two scenes, and I like how he he goes out of the movie too because he gets like really impatient with them trying to like get him out of a chair. He's got like a laser pointed at. He's like. Just turn the thing, and I said turn it. He's like the Chernobyl guy, and then they actually wind up killing him. They're like, oh. But at the beginning, he's in a limo with his agent, and he's like yelling. I was like, ah, oh, amazing triumphs at a nursing home. That's terrible. 
what are you doing to me? And so they go, oh, we did get a better supervillain. And he's all, get Deathman. And then the guy's like, Deathman's dead. <laughs> all right, Father Doom, life without parole, Apocalypto, doing 50 years, Armageddon's in exile, Baron Von Chaos got the chair. And then he's all, ah. Oh. And he's all, cat. Casanova Frankenstein's locked up. He's all, oh, Casanova Frankenstein. Oh, that was a supervillain. He just, he's got those eyes. Can't do it. Oh, that boy is such pure evil. Oh, man, the battles we used to have. So I like that kind of. Like, feels like Mystery Man was before its time. Like, that's that stuff sounds great. I know. And it's, like, that scene's really well written. But... Who throws the forks? Hank Azaria, uh, isn't it? Yeah, Hank Azaria, the yeah. uh, Blue Raja. Yeah. He doesn't have any blue in his costume. There's some good <laughs> jokes in there. And I didn't read the comic. but It's from a comic? Oh, man. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. going to do? Hey, World War Z, what are you going to do? Everything's from something dumb, Tom. Hey, Will Wesley, what are you going to do? All right, so uh, Greg Kinnear. Whatever happened to Greg Kinnear? What's the last thing he did? I think that thing you do. (laughs) (laughs) Greg Kinnear's last movie was... Oh, he was in the worst season ever of uh, House of Cards. Oh, he's doing TV. All right. Yeah, he replaced Kevin Spacey. That's not true, really? No, he's uh, Diane Lane's brother. No, he was just a random. Jerk. Okay. Okay. Uh, he's boring. The whole season's horrible. <laughs> That's another show where that Ken Levine's right. Like it broke my heart. I was like, oh, right. why? Like, I'm going to watch any of this. I'm going to watch four episodes of that for our next three. <laughs> that starts out good. It'll trick you. Also Thing is, I I think I know what your number one favorite celebrity is. All right, you want to guess? Which no, because I don't want to. Okay, does the name of the movie begin with the letter L? That's every no. romantic comedy. No. Oh, well, okay, I don't know. Okay, then, Dingus, who is your favorite fake celebrity? Uh, my favorite fake celebrity, here's a quote from it. Uh, you can act like a man. What's the matter with you? <sighs> Sounds like a musical. Here's, a, here's another way of saying that line. You can act like a man. Who's the matter with you? It's Cito Man. So this is from The Godfather, and the fake celebrity is based on a real celebrity, purportedly. Uh, so <laughs> this is an interesting one. This is Johnny Fontaine, yeah. um, who shows up to the wedding of uh, Vito Corleone's uh, daughter. Um, and not in it much. Go on. No, no, yeah. he's not in it much. Just in this scene, basically, he does a song, and then he shows up later on when they're in Vegas. Um, so Johnny Fontaine is supposedly, uh, based on Frank Sinatra. Uh, there's, plays him. uh, he's, he's played by a guy named Al Martino. Uh, I, he's it's I like Frankie Avalon. Yeah. He's kind of a okay. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know him as a celebrity. And when I saw, uh, Godfather for the first time, I wouldn't have known who the hell he was. He, even having read, the god, the you know, pulp classic, The Godfather. Uh, I wouldn't well, have known who he was. Uh, oh yeah, well it's not a sex change operation. It's a, it's a tightening operation. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but I'm glad I don't even know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> it's boring. You're, um, you're, right. you're right to not care. So anyway, the the the, uh, the lore of the movie is that a, a Sicilian uh, can't refuse any request on the wedding day of his daughter. 
like Asimov's robotic laws, Tom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's exactly right. for gangsters, right? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's where he got it, basically. Yeah. Or allow an um, Italian to come to harm through an action. So Johnny Fontaine come comes in and comes into Vito Corleone's office and asks and says to him, "There's this part in this war movie that is perfect for me." Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, if I, it, uh, you know, it's it's basically just me. I don't even have to act. I'll just be me. Um, and it's supposedly, I think it is Here to eternity. from Here to Eternity, yeah. the Frank Sinatra thing. But it's played by this guy, Al Martino, the wood. Yeah. I don't have, have any idea about Does it. Does he look like Sinatra? Like, is there, are they, can you tell they're doing a visual similarity? Uh, not. His eyes aren't blue. Kind of a little bit. I mean, I mean, he's a crooner. Um, and he, when he shows up at the, at the wedding, he, uh, is greeted by, uh, is it Sofia Coppola? Um, no, Talia Shepard. Talia Shire. Shire. Where the hobbits come from. You mean, you mean Connie Corleone? Yeah. Connie Corleone, uh, jumps out, jumps at him. She's like, you have to sing to me. And he sings to her. And he hasn't seen this movie, by the way. He does. He does. He does. Crooning thing, and then he goes in and talks to the Godfather, and he said, and he talks about all this, and he said, if I, if I get this, but the but the studio chief, he just won't give it to me. He just says no, and this is perfect for me, and this is where the whole horse head thing right. eventually yeah. comes from. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, so he's sitting there on Don Corleone's desk, and just like breaking down a little bit, and eventually. Marlon Brando stands up and he's like, "Act like a man." <laughs> um, and I just, I really love. I, I thought about this late. This came to me late in the week. It was just this idea of this uh, made-up version of a real celebrity played by somebody who's not a celebrity. Right. And I really tried to pay attention to your idea, Tom, of not having people who are already famous or celebrities that I would have known of at the time playing these parts even if it's uh, a pseudo uh, amalgam of a celebrity or well, it sounds I like they forgot look... everything Tom said yeah. it sounds like they, they like they look down on him to a certain degree as well so in a way that he's not a celebrity to to them as and much he's short no he's but short. but he gets I mean obviously he gets the part and it makes him right. famous um, but he's already it's better for that scene that he's not a famous guy and well he is already they kind of a celebrity in in one part of the world but his career is winding down he's losing steam uh, he's he says my voice is weak uh i'm not able to do the thing that i used to be able to do but, be a man but this particular thing will give me a new career and if you can do this for me godfather and it is his actual godfather that he's talking to if you can do this for me this will save my career this will, or this will create a new career for me. Um, that wasn't and, really the case with Sinatra, though, was it? Like he was going strong the whole time, I wasn't think he? He just wanted the part. Well, I think he just wanted to be thought of as an actor. That's what I thought it was. Supposedly, he had a little trouble getting that part for whatever political reasons that were going on between Hollywood and Vegas at the time, uh, which was a different world at that time. Um, but I, I mean, there's conflicting reports as far as that's concerned. So that's why I like this choice because uh, Mario Puzo kind of creates this 
not out of whole cloth, but out of spun cloth. Well, he massages it heavily. Yeah. yeah. But Tom said it's true, like, because that guy in that scene acts like he's got nothing. Like this is his last chance. I need, I need the mafia involved to save myself. Well, it's his godfather, and his godfather can't refuse him at this particular point. Yeah, but just go to him first. Beginning your career. (laughs) Set up the whole thing. Um, And watching The Godfather again, uh, as long as it is, is just pure joy. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Good Lord. Uh, As grainy as my uh, copy is, that doesn't matter to me at all. It's just so beautifully done. Everybody in it is pretty much great. And... um, it's never boring. It's really interesting to watch Robert Duvall sort of navigate his way through the movie. His name is Tom uh, in that movie, just so you guys yeah. know. Yes, he is. That's Tom right. Tom Hagen. I know Tom a thing Hagen. or two about Godfather. You know a thing or two. You don't like it because you, th- you say it's a cliche. So you don't like no, no, I like it. I, just, I don't think it, it holds up as well as stuff like The Conversation, I will say. Uh what about Godfather Two compared to Conversation Two? There, to me, it's just like the Lord of the Rings movies. They're all of a, they're all the same of a piece. Same with the Godfather movies. <laughs> I don't I don't distinguish among them, Kelly Wan. They're all one long story. It's a nine hour well, movie. Lord of the Rings, you didn't you didn't care about, and then you watched them, and you were right. like, Oh, these are great. Right. So yeah. You, and that happened with Godfather Three. <laughs> I've actually never seen Godfather 3, so... Oh, dude! What? I would, Wait, however... So it's just like Lord of the Rings, but you've seen 2.30. I will say, I thought Dingus's <laughs> pick was going to be another Coppola movie. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. What did you think it was going to be? Something that begins with the letter L, but I'm not going to talk about that, because I want to talk about yet another Coppola movie uh, that has my single favorite celebrity, and it's why I thought of this uh, topic. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. Very nicely done, Tom. Very yeah, good. and I, I just love... Uh, you know, Lost in Translation is great and all, and I love how Sofia Coppola brings her life yeah. experience to that. But the one that really I appreciate more, and I guess because it's, you know, that's um, a good one. The the one that I appreciate more, uh, that I can just sort of understand more, being a dude who lived. I mean, I was never a celebrity or anything, but I I know what like I know a little bit about LA culture and what actors are like. I just love the movie Somewhere, where Stephen Dorff is basically playing. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that it's kind of the equivalent of like what Christian Slater becomes at a certain point. Um, but so, so somewhere it's, uh, it's Sofia Coppola's movie about, uh, a, a fading, actually not even fading. He's a celebrity and he seems to be doing fine, but he is just completely losing interest in it. And he's, he's just suffocated by the ennui. Uh, and it's not one of those, Oh, it's so hard being famous kind of things. It's, it's an actual genuine existential crisis. And he's, you know, he's split up with his wife, and he's trying to connect with his daughter, uh, and his his career. Like he's he's she is so canny at showing us bits of his day to day life that highlight just how empty this whole thing is and how pointless right. it is. At one point, he has to go get a mold made of his head for a special effect in I guess some science fiction movie, and she just holds that he goes in and. I, I know what this sort of thing is like just from watching special effects reels and stuff. They have to slather his face with this mold so that it can create a copy of his head. And she just holds on. They they put this stuff all over his face. He can only breathe through his nostrils. And he's slathered in this white stuff. You can't see any of his features. And Sofia Coppola just holds on that and slowly pushes in for a very long shot and clearly it's this idea that he's completely isolated, he's insulated from anything meaningful and any mm-hmm. feeling, and he's just closed up in this dark 
stagnant, still space. Uh, and I don't think it's like I might be making it sound heavy-handed, <laughs> but it's it's an incredible moment. No, it's uh, like work stuff. Like that. because a, a lot of the stuff too is also like him totally getting laid and chicks hitting on him and. Uh, yeah. And and even that, like, there's a great moment, and this, I just I find different this, white stuff on his face. I, I find this. I don't. I don't Ooh. think he does coke in it. Uh, I could be wrong, but he's. Uh, it I seems think like he's right. But... <laughs> it seems this thing is well. It, it, the uh, I love too that the the opening shot of him, he's coming down the stairs at the Chateau Marmont, which is the the famous hotel in in L. A. And uh, he falls out of frame, and through the rest of the movie, he's got a cast on his arm because we've just seen him break <laughs> his arm. Which is a great way to say, you know what? Celebrities are mortal. They they bleed like we do. Their bones break. They trip and fall yeah. and look dumb. Us uh, Weekly teaches us this. And so the very next shot, though, is him laying in bed. And there are a couple of scenes with these girls. And I think they're just so just, just tremendously endearing for how lackluster and bored they are. But it's these twins who – they're not even strippers. Oh they're my. doing a dance routine for him on poles that they've set up in the hotel room and they've oh, come excellent. he's called them to come do this and they're super hot blonde chicks and uh, they've they've choreographed this this musical number and by the way to Sofia Coppola's immense credit and I think it's because she comes from show business she gets actual recognizable songs it's it's a foo fighters here comes my hero and it's the the whole song plays and she's not having to do some fake thing and it's not just a clip of yeah. it she just girls holds like on, to dance Tom. she just holds on these girls doing this dance but the beautiful thing about the scene they look so bored and it's just because <laughs> I, don't, I mean i don't pretend to know these women but they really look incredibly vapid like they're beautiful and they've yeah. got this super uninspired just it's almost like a cheerleader routine that. that they're doing on these dance poles and he falls asleep watching them like it's yeah. So, it yeah. Is, and then later, there's a moment later in the movie we get to see him a couple of times where they're doing the number for him, and uh, this time he stays awake and he claps for him. And one of them comes over to pick up something from the bedside table, and he reaches out to grab her around the waist, and she says, "I'm Cindy, you moron," and pulls away from him. And he's like, "Oh, oh, sorry." And then the other one comes up to him and she says, "Oh, I'm the other one." It's like he's dating one of them and he can't even keep them straight. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. So I, I just like – I, I, Olsen twins. And I, I just love Stephen Dorff in this. Like I don't think he's really made that much of an impression on me in anything else he's done. But Sofia Coppola, it's just so intimate with just him. And you know they're the, like they're the two Fannings. There's the pretty one and the talented one. Right. And Elle Fanning, the pretty one, is in this but before she was pretty. Like she's like a super gangly 11-year-old. And Sofia Coppola knows Super how, 8 era. N- Pre-Super 8, definitely. Wait, wait, yeah, pre-Super 8. Uh, when she was a Super 7. Uh, she yeah. Sofia Coppola knows how to just let the camera run while they do improv and they relate, and there's just so much great mm. chemistry between them. There's an mm. actor who plays uh, uh, Stephen Dorff's character's uh, buddy. I think they might – they're just childhood friends, and the three of them just hanging out, interacting. Uh, it's such a 70s style of filmmaking. Uh, and She's I, our Greg Araki. Uh, why would you call her that? I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I think she's our Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, this is sort of the sort of thing that. Uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Tom. This I is mean, a this great is sort of, yeah. yeah, this is sort of thing that she inherited and learned from her her father. I think it's just vintage '70s filmmaking. Um, and, and of course, also her being, I'm sure, at a certain point, an 11 year old girl whose father was a celebrity. Like, 
you know, this yeah. is stuff. This is Sofia Coppola doing stuff. Like, I love Virgin Suicides, but that's clearly her adapting someone else's work. Virgin Suicides is an amazing, beautiful movie, but this is clearly like Lost in Translation. I think uh, Sofia Coppola drawing from her own experience of celebrities of of, of Hollywood. Um, and so, and like I, I love how too. I love how much she trusts Stephen Dorff. And I, again, he's never really struck me in anything he does, but he's really remarkable in this, partly for how hapless he is yeah Um, good point he's uh you know he's still got his boyish looks but his hairline's receding his face is starting to get puffy uh he looks weary he he definitely looks like road hard and hung up wet like he definitely looks and it's not like alcoholically abusing himself it just looks like he's just getting bored and disengaged Mm -hmm. and is just tired of it all yeah there's a great moment too and i i would maybe I thought about picking her, but there's a great moment where he's been called to go to a, a press junket, and part of the press junket is getting his picture taken with his co-star in front of the movie poster, <laughs> and the movie is uh, it's called Berlin Agenda, and it's got it's got a picture uh, of Stephen Dorff. <laughs> exactly, Stephen Dorff, like his hair is slicked back and he's wearing a tuxedo and he's totally Play like Ludlum. he's totally yeah. airbrushed, and his co-star in uh, Berlin Agenda, and her name is Rebecca something. Yeah is played by Michelle Monaghan. So oh, wow. There's, uh. a, there's a lovely scene of him and Michelle Monaghan standing in front of the movie posters of them, the movie poster of them, while photographers take their picture and are saying things like, okay, smile, okay, give us a bigger smile, okay, look at each other. And while they're doing this, Michelle Monaghan says under her breath to him, uh, she says, you look great. And he says, oh, thank you. And she says, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> you, you can tell they hate That's each other. And he says, did you, she even says, Andrew, did you think you weren't going to see me again? Like, and, and in the movie, too, he's getting texts. And Sofia Coppola never tells us who's sending him these. Every now and then he'll check his phone, and he's just got a text from a private number that says, you think you're hot shit, but you're not. Or, why are you such an asshole? Or, uh, you know, I, I fucking can't stand you. Like, he just gets these anonymous texts from, from people. Presumably some girl, yeah, maybe he stood up. Yeah, exactly. It could be anybody, and the movie never tells us because that's not what it's about. That's just like another American thing. Every Psycho. now and then, he has to look down at his phone and take this kind of maybe deserved yeah, abuse from, from some. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's another moment too when he goes to a press junket in uh, Rome, and he uh, because his ex-wife, who's Elle Fanning's uh, mother, has basically run off and said, "You know what? You are." taken Cleo. I, I can't deal with it. I have to go find myself. So he's having a deal too with now he's got to care for his daughter. So he brings her to Italy with him. And while he's in Italy, uh, some super hot blonde chick pulls him aside. And she's like, oh, did you did you forget about me? Can, can I see you later? And his daughter's there. And there's this part of the, the loveliness of their performance is these scenes where you can tell that Elle Fanning wants his time, but she also wants to give him space. And when they fall asleep in the hotel room, Stephen Dorff finally gets up and he tiptoes down the hall and he lets the hot blonde chick in and closes the door. And then it cuts to the next morning where Elle Fanning has ordered all this great room service for her and her dad. And the blonde chick comes out in a robe and sits down with Elle Fanning and is trying to be all friendly to her. And Elle Fanning is being polite, but she doesn't really want that. And then Stephen Dorff comes in kind of sheepishly, you know, and the looks that Sophia Cap- Coppola captures between Elle Fanning and Stephen Dorff just so much unspoken stuff said between them shame and anguish and apology uh it's just a beautiful moment and there's no dialogue in it and they're just so i i love somewhere so much uh 
and it, he's my favorite celebrity just for how human he is and how it's Sofia Coppola using what she knows about celebrity in Hollywood and show business to tell a story about existential angst and a midlife midlife crisis and ennui. Uh, so somewhere and, and his name uh, Johnny Marco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, that's it, his real name. In the... There, there is mm-hmm. a there's a. Um... Uh, a scene where he's where they're underwater in the pool, right? Yes, exactly, and they're doing a little tea party with each other. Yep. Right, right, right. Uh, so there's yeah. so when you were this. talking about the um, the slathering with plaster, I mean, I've I've had to do that a couple of times because I have a friend who's a makeup artist, and I've had to like fill my mouth with this substance called alginate or alginate. Uh, so that you can make a mold of your teeth, which uh, is a is just a it's just a weird sensation to have your to have that happen to you. Um, what I was thinking about when you said that was them being underwater and basically him drowning um, in a way. Uh, that's not what's really happening in that. But I love the way that you put this, and this is a great choice. Uh, you know, I I didn't even think of Lost in Translation, which would be a that's wonderful what I choice you were as pick. well. Yeah, that's totally uh, what I thought you would pick. Yeah, um, and it's funny that I that I chose a different Coppola. Coppola, film, yeah. But, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> uh, I wasn't expecting that. All right, let's see what the listeners have. We have Brett, who's a second time writer in her. He says, number three. Uh, this is a quote. Hey, aren't you the kid from Crocodile Tears? I thought you died like ten years ago, man. Uh, this is Philip Seymour Hoffman as a semi-famous former child actor, Sandy Lyle, in the movie Along Came Polly. I've never even seen this. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as the buddy sidekick in a pretty by-the-numbers rom-com proves that he could be great in pretty much any role. Yeah, Brett, absolutely. Uh, He's desperately trying to relive his childhood fame. He's stuck playing Judas in a community theater production of Jesus Christ Superstar. (laughs) He also pays a camera crew to follow him around and tells people it's for an e-true Hollywood story. (laughs) Oh, my God. Is it the Toby Jones or the Philip Seymour Hoffman one where where he's playing Truman Capote who has paid the conductor to pretend to recognize him? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? That's yeah, I know. the Toby Jones one. Is that the Toby remember. Jones one? Okay. I don't remember which is which. It's with Catherine it. Keener. He's in a key, in a car, and I, I forget which one is which as well, but that reminds me of that. Well, if it's Catherine Keener... There's then... nothing funny in the Philip Seymour Hoffman. Catherine Keener's Wait, the Philip Seymour Hoffman one, Dingus? Or I, the think, I Toby think so, Jones yeah. one? Okay. Uh, and then Brett concludes, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman shouting, rain dance before shooting brick after brick while playing basketball. <laughs> Makes me laugh every time. <laughs> there were some sports turns there that were confusing me, but I got the intent of Brett's uh, comment by the time I got to the end there. Man, uh, pretty so, again, here's a long quote. I don't really know how to read this because I don't know. What is it. So, George Clooney as famous actor Baird Whitlock in, <laughs> in Hail Caesar. Whitlock is apparently uh, yeah. a well-known actor. The clergyman in an early scene are impressed that he'll be involved in the titular movie. Oh, right, 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 yeah. This Clooney, is a good choice. I like it. This is, yeah. Clooney plays Whitlock as an amiable but cowardly buffoon. I love yeah. the way Whitlock adopts the rhetoric of the Idiot communists trilogy. into his stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And his face, when in there shooting, it, he's supposed to look at Jesus' face. He just makes all these dumb things. Trying to read, yeah, I can't, re- I can't do this quote justice, Brett. I'm afraid. So, so Brett's number one pick 
And man, I, this is like a buttermilk situation for me. I don't. Rem- I, sh- I feel like I should know this, and I don't. Uh, Big Lebowski, Arthur Digby Sellers. Uh, and Brett says might have health problems and need an iron lung, but he uh, wrote yeah. all 156 episodes of Branded. Certainly no lightweight. Is that where they go to accost the kid about the homework? Yeah, that guy's not really in the scene. He's just set dressing in the background. I think. Yeah. All right, and Brett remembers his name. So okay, and he's the screenwriter. Oh. Okay, so I guess that's a fact about him. He's in the Iron Lung, and he's a screenwriter of something called Branded. All right. Yeah, Branded. Oh. Brett, any any excuse to bring up? Uh, oh shoot, I don't want to say his last name. I'll bleep, I'll bleep it out. Uh, any excuse to bring up uh, Big Lebowski, Brett? Uh, much appreciated. Yeah. Fake celebrities, John Reniger. Uh The first one I thought of is Paul Sorvino as the drug addicted has been singer in The Cooler. Wow, I don't remember that. The character's name is that. is Buddy Stanford, and Alec Baldwin's cynical casino manager kills him in a way he regards as a mercy killing, but which justly horrifies William H. Macy as the titular cooler. Wait, I think I have seen this. You ever not remembered if you've seen something? I, I I know I've seen this, but I don't remember the I don't remember any of this. Yeah. That, uh, uh, John says he's risking three by three jail for this one. Uh, you may remember him from films as. P is for Psycho, The Electric Gigolo, and Today We Kill, Tomorrow We Die. As voiced by Phil Hartman, the greatest fake celebrity Uh, of all time, Troy McClure, uh, would certainly have been in the Simpsons movie, but for circumstances. I don't think we should hold his untimely death against him. I don't know what he's talking uh, about. Yeah, I don't know. That's a sketchy one. I don't even know what movie this is. Because he's not in the Simpsons movie. There's a Simpsons movie? (laughs) <laughs> okay. Let's see how this is gonna go. Alright, uh, uh John, yeah, you're in jail. Sorry, John. Spider pig. Yeah. Spider pig. Does whatever spider pig does. Shaheen yeah. Ali. Uh number three. Despicable Me Three. What? Oh Shaheen. my god. My son, and I watched, my son and I watched this together. I love the flirt the first two? one with the uh the the girl from uh, eighth grade is the it's so fluffy voiceover in the in, in, in all the movies actually. <laughs> There's three Despicable Me's and two Minions movies. All there's well, five. Shaheen says my son and I watched this together. We suffered through the inane character Balthazar Brat. Brat <laughs> yeah. is a delusional child star from the 80s. After the movie, my son explained to me that the movie's just a series of scenes without any cohesion. My son is 12. <laughs> Shaheen says. See. Kelly Wunsch, you and Shaheen Ali on the same page. Uh, He says, a breakout performance from Chris Tucker as the interstellar pop star Ruby Rod. So good, I forgave him for his performance in the Rush Hour series. Oh, yeah. Fuck those. Uh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, There might be trouble here. You guys have – okay, I'll – be curious what he's you guys think. He's good in Jackie Brown, too. Are we in Little He's great in Jackie Brown. What little he's in it, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah Shaheen yeah. Ali. Thor Ragnarok. So many fake celebrities. In the first scene on Asgard, a play is put on about the celebrities, yeah. quote, Thor, Loki, and Odin. Of course, the end joke is that the actors playing the fake celebrities, okay, you know what, I'll accept this, are real celebrities. Right. Luke Hemsworth, <laughs> Matt Damon, and Sam Neill. On the planet Sakaar, Grandmaster and Champion Hulk are also fake celebrities in the movie universe, since people come from all over the universe to watch Hulk fight. Shaheen, you're more... Um, he's yeah, a real ahead. celebrity, though. Hulk is a right. universal celebrity. So what's the fake part? Yeah, Shaheen, I'm going to strike that second part and just accept your your bit about the little in-joke That's play. That's his best celebrity. Yeah, the Matt Damon... Uh, the Matt Damon one... Okay. 
Well, well because cop, that one's a little convoluted. Really, the cop huh? is pretty lenient tonight. No, I, th I threw uh, John Ryder he doesn't, in jail. He hasn't seen any of the things that are being talked about. He's all, Simpsons movie? What? That's who's <laughs> minding the, uh, the jail. The prison warden doesn't know. He hasn't seen uh, uh, Escape from Alcatraz. He doesn't know that's a movie. Uh, Rhiannon McLean. That's the obvious analogy. Uh, Leads with asking, is this what you meant? So let's find out. Rex Manning from Empire Records, Rhiannon says. Ah, oh, I want to murder that movie. A fictional <laughs> past-his-prime pop crooner. Making oh, that's a good an, one. Making an unglamorous in-store appearance in the eponymous record shop while the, events of the, while the events of the film play out around him. The fake video created for his biggest hit is shown in the film, and it looks totally authentic, complete with MTV or maybe VH1 idents. Yeah, what is Empire what, Records? Yeah. What is that, Kelly Wand? Uh, uh, you might like it because Ethan Embry is in it. Uh, yeah, isn't that another one with Arwen in it? Arwen's in it, looking really hot, and she has a bad. She tries to seduce the Maxwell Caulfield character, and takes all her clothes off, and it's rejected. Leaves and gets angry. At yeah, oh yeah. Like book character, and yeah, Renee Zellweger is really cute in it too, and also the chick from The Craft. Huh, all right. and she shaves her head but Zellweger and Liv Tyler are like the two hot girls they're like dancing around in skirts a lot it's like, fine it's like really stupid and boring it's terrible it's the worst movie ever but watch it <laughs> oh Rhiannon's next two picks are awesome wow I like these Rhiannon alright this next one actually you know what I'm going to jump to her third one because I want to talk about the second one you guys are going to have no idea what's going on there but her third one <laughs> this is awesome uh, Bridget von Hammersmark from Inglorious Bastards, a made-up German film yeah. star who's also secretly a member of the Resistance. She gets found out due to having given an autograph to a young Nazi fan. Also, a Daniel Bruhl's character uh, is kind of the uh, is the uh, Nazi action hero uh, in the in the movie. Yeah, she nice. can't catch a break in that movie. She just gets screwed, screwed. That's screwed. a nice choice. I like that. Yeah, I like plays, the sniper. Is that Dan yeah. Kruger? Who plays? Yeah. Her? Yeah. That is her. There's another one, too. That's why it's confusing. There's two blonde ladies in the same movie. Oh, what a nightmare. <laughs> they, shouldn't, they shouldn't do that. Very confusing. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood shouldn't have that. Rhiannon, that's a great pick. I didn't even uh, – I love the Inglorious Bastards pick. Yeah, Here's too. one. Yeah. So I love this. So this this is uh, uh, David Cronenberg's son. Kelly Wand, I might take issue with David Cronenberg's early works, but I have no problems with his son Brandon's early works. So here's Empire Rhiannon's Viral. pick. Uh, pardon? Antiviral? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Antiviral. Yeah. Uh, Hannah Geist from the film Antiviral, a celebrity yeah. so popular – get this, and this is the premise. I love this. So popular that people pay to be infected with the same strain of a disease that she has yeah, so yeah. they can share her experiences. So her Brilliant. cells are replicated into lab-grown like – Yeah, exactly. And her cells are replicated into lab-grown meat that people can buy chunks of. Yeah, oh, I love my it. God. And the thing yeah, is, it's like, like – like, it's super hot. Like I don't, it's, I don't even remember if someone's famous, but it's super body hot. Body horror. DNA. It's totally body horror, and it's Caleb Landry yeah. Jones basically carrying the whole movie with this really weird – well, it's Caleb Landry Jones, so you don't have to say really weird performance. But it's just it, – <laughs> it really makes great use of his weirdness. Um, yeah. I love Caleb Landry Jones in that. I would I would have guessed you didn't know that movie, Kelly Wand. No, you – Actually, you turned me on to it. Good. So I thank right. you for – So we don't know who plays the celebrity though. Um, I'm, it's, uh, she's one of the, she's one of the, uh, actresses from Enemy, the, uh, Denis Villeneuve movie. Okay. Uh, cause that's got the several. Gotcha. Pardon? I called him a girl. 
<laughs> it's, it's, yeah, she's taking down the Jillian Halls. So I, I think, isn't one of them, uh, oh shoot, who's the girl from Ghost Protocol and Blue is the Warmest Color, Dingus? What's her name? Emily Fer- uh, Ferguson, Rebecca Ferguson. No, no, the uh, the assassin oh, chick, Leah Sado. She's not in, in Oh, yeah, very good. But she's not one of the girls. She's the first Bond girl to be in two Bond Okay, you guys are no help. (laughs) But at any rate, Dingus, uh, I don't think you would know who plays uh, Hannah Geist. Uh, And I love that name, too, given the the character, Hannah Geist. She's in Ghost Protocol. That's my first. Leah Sadu, yeah, she's isn't she's this awesome assassin chick, right? Yeah, yeah, she's in the um, in the in the huge. uh, building Bur- Burj Khalif, the yeah. Burj Khalif, yeah. yeah, and she's the one who has the fight with, yeah. Come on, Kelly, why don't you check out that movie? Can't get she's really, really, she's great. Actually. She's kind of perfect. perfect Alexander Barantine says, "I didn't think of many examples of interesting fake celebrities in movies, but one did jump out at me. Rock of Ages, definitely not a great <laughs> movie, but Tom Cruise is arresting as a Vince Neil alike named Stacy Jacks, J A X." I thought he was his Magnolia celebrity character. Uh, Julianne Hoff plays a starry-eyed hopeful who tumbles to a life of being a famous stripper, and then Tom Cruise steals the entire movie with a pole dancing scene. Oh, I haven't sho- seen it. Now yeah, it sounds good. With a pole dancing scene that shows real athleticism and what must have been some intense training. Man, well, now I gotta I see this. I trained on Oprah's couch uh, <laughs> for Mission Impossible uh, too. And then Alexander says it's startling how much he upstaged upstages Hoff, who we are told is the most popular dancer in the joint. Yeah, my imagination's running a little wild with this, Alexander Baron. Yeah, he dances yeah. a lot. He's a dancer. Respect the rooster. John Thomas <laughs> Manus Mason. Well, that was Bradley I'm... Cooper's name and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, I wouldn't call this my favorite fake celebrity, he says. It leapt to mind immediately. Uh, saw Fifth Element in theaters. Haven't watched it since. I might have had it not been for the single most annoying character in cinematic yeah. history, Ruby Rod. Yeah. <laughs> he is annoying. John, Ma- he Thomas Ma- John Thomas Mason calls him a radio host with unexplained sexual mojo that yeah. no one is able to resist. A penchant for being as loud as possible at all times for no particular reason, and the yeah. flamboyancy of Dennis Rodman on steroids made from the made from the powdered <laughs> horns of unicorns. But gayer than Dennis Rodman. And to top it all off, John Thomas Mason says he is completely superfluous to the plot. Yeah. Boom. Perfect. I love <laughs> no it. thanks, he concludes. What? Come on, man. Sorry. Go watch some. Straightforward movies without that character, and you'll see. You'll see the difference. Arthur Gilvalangelelli says, In Rocky, Carl Weathers portrays Apollo Creed, a larger-than-life heavyweight <laughs> champion with an eye for showmanship and a talent for fighting. Like heavyweight it. champion of the world was a big deal when Rocky was first made, and I like how the movie and Weathers make sure to show that Creed understands his celebrity and relishes it. Yeah, and the difference between him and He's still likable. He's still sympathetic. That's another awesome thing about his character is you don't hate him like you hate Mr. T's character. Ah. He's like a likable – he's a totally sympathetic antagonist. All right. Well, that that movie did win an Academy Award for uh, Sylvester Stallone's script, I believe, right? Uh, It was a strange time, Tom. It was, yeah. Number two, Scott Pilgrim versus the – oh, this is cute. This is cute. I mean I'm not crazy about this movie. This is a cute pick. Uh, Chris oh, Evans like in this. Scott Pilgrim versus the World yeah, plays cute. fake movie star Lucas Lee, who often yeah. also happens to be one of Mary Elizabeth Winstead's seven evil exes. 
He does a good job making this vein moron slightly charming, and I even get a little sad when he grinds his skateboard to his death. <laughs> He'll be all right. Whoa! Here goes Arthur Giovalangelelli. There are two Scott Pilgrim vs. the World picks. The other what? one, Brie Larson plays indie rock megastar Envy Adams, and it's impossible yeah. to take your eyes off her. Larson even does her own singing, covering Metric's Black Sheep during a performance, and she's yeah. great at that as well. It's easy to see why Envy Adams is such a big deal in the universe of Scott Pilgrim. Is it one of the Supermans in that one? Brandon Ruth. Yeah, Brandon Ruth. He's the vegetarian police police. or something? Yeah, vegan police. Yeah, Yeah. with uh, Tom Jane. He's the other one. Tom Jane and Brandon Ruth work for the cops. Brian Becker uh, says uh, he loves the topic, if only to give us the opportunity to mock him for his horrifically (laughs) incorrect prediction he made about Number one. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, number two, the after the accident that opens the movie, the insurance company suits require the okay of two scientists to open John Hammond's deranged dream of dinosaur theme park, Jurassic Park. One of the scientists is the non-expert but trendy chaos mathematician Ian Malcolm. Yeah. In the real world, we have people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who are the go-to scientific experts whenever evening talk shows want to discuss something scientific. Goldblum captures the nerdiness and charisma that takes a scientist to become this type of celebrity, as it's not too hard to imagine him doing the water flickering trick on Jay Leno uh, or Letterman for a rapt audience. What's the water flickering trick? Uh, he does it on Laura Dern's hand to hit on her while Sam Neill sits there and goes, oh, this fucking guy. <laughs> And then later he goes, oh, yeah, there are there going to be any dinosaurs in this movie? Hello? 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 I hear yeah. Richard Attenborough's all fucking Goldblum. Wait, what's a, what's a water flickering trick? He, he says, I hate that man. I hate that man. He shows uh, Laura Dern how water works on her hand. He doesn't flicker it. Arnold he, explains temperatures. No, he's not explaining temperatures. He's, a, he's explaining chaos. I, I do think this would get upset if I missed <laughs> it. I know it. It's not that. It's bioelectrical engineering, damn you! I'm only three episodes into Jurassic Park! Alright, well here's where Brian Becker expects us to mock him for his incorrect prediction. His number one pick is, he says, My first reaction to seeing Chris Evans play movie star Lucas Lee in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in 2010 was, This guy could never be an action star in real life. He was really? just so stiff and mechanical in the role, Brian says. Alas, yeah. now I can see it was a comedic acting choice, and that Evans can be a star by letting his natural charisma shine. It's just weird to think that Evans can go from fake action star to Captain America in a year. He plays dumb in not another teen movie, too. He plays like the uh, James Vanderbilt character. Oh my like God, he's in one of those? Wow. Yeah, he's really funny. He's a funny jock. It's good. He has a lot of rage. And also, his Fantastic Four character saved that movie. He's also in that thing you do. No, he's not. (laughs) I would have believed that. You know what? I got got that thing you do mixed up with the Suburbans with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Guess who is? Charlize Theron is in that thing you do. No, that's not true. Not to lie. That is absolutely true. She's also in Sweet November, so... (laughs) What's Sweet November? Keanu Reeves and her. uh, She's dying. That's Winona Ryder, jerk. No, it's not. That's, yeah, it uh, I'll bet you. Okay. I'll bet your billion dollars. Wait, Winona Ryder's in Sweet November, you think? You're thinking of the thing with Richard Gere, Dingus, where, uh, uh, oh. 
Yeah. Right. Which is something September, <laughs> December. Or, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, it's because they're both autumn. That's what he's <laughs> Orange leaves turning. <laughs> Here we go. And in Devil's Advocate also. Oh, oh this is great. Also dying. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. bad. All right, this is a good this one too. So Chris bear. Webb, uh, his number three, Lost in Translation. Anna Ferris is my favorite fake celebrity in this movie. She's yeah. an actress named hey. Kelly, and she has a lot in common with Keanu Reeves. They both have two dogs. Friends? They both live in L.A., and they both like Mexican food. I need yeah. to re-see this now because it was before I knew who Anna Ferris was. Wait, which movie is that? Lost in Translation. It's a Sofia Coppola movie. You'll eventually see it. Oh, because she's. Do a you remember her from that, Dingus? Oh yeah, well we talked about this when we were talking about you. You brought up Anna Faris several yeah. weeks ago, um, and I brought up that she was the the actress who was uh, flirting with Giovanni R- uh, Ribisi. Oh right, right. The, okay, right. Scarlett Johansson's husband. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now I want to pick her in Keanu, but she plays herself, so you kind of can't. All right. Yeah. Uh, a quote ah, from Chris Webb. Oh, God. All right. I mean, I know Chris <laughs> Webb wrote this because he knew I was going to read it, but... Yeah. That's how they get you, Tom. That's how they fuck with us. They troll us. They make All us right, read things. All right. Here we go. And they get mad Chris, at you for reading it. Chris no. has earned it, though. All right. That's true. He does... Yeah, I love Chris Webb. He's... You know what? I like to get fucked. I like to get fucked hard, okay? (laughs) But you have to draw the line somewhere. I mean, violence is a big problem in our society today, and I will not support it. That's the primary reason why I won't do anal. Tom, you said that awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, was that... Really, it's your zone. But now try it with... Pull the the rubber glove on again, Tom, what Hold hold on, do the quote now. So yeah. this is from Southland. This is from Southland Tales. A uh, Krista now is a porn star and pop singer whose first single, "Teen Horniness Is Not a Crime." She's a talk show host on Channel 1069 and much more. She even has an energy drink, which boxer Santoro says, "quote." tastes really, really good, end quote. She's also having an affair with Santoros, who is the son-in-law of a Republican presidential candidate. Back in 2007, this is something that would hurt a politician, so evidence of the affair is used to blackmail the candidate. One of the demands is a yes vote on Proposition 61. Nice, Chris (laughs) Webb writes. 61. 69. Whoops. <laughs> Ruined that joke. Uh, choose, who mixes choose, up those numbers? I mean, choose It'll be hilarious. Why is that yeah. I don't know who he's talking about. I mean, Southland Tales, who remembers that? Uh, hold That's on. like Richard. remembering the number 61 arbitrarily. <laughs> if you're reading it. It's a Roger Maris. Yeah. Southland Oh, it must be Sarah Michelle Gellar, you think. Is that right? Uh, you know, shoot, I'm not going to look through this cast list. That's what Afghanistan said. Oh, I mean, (laughs) she. That's how dumb you are. All right. Uh, This one doesn't have a quote. It's a movie I've, I don't think I've heard of. Uh, A movie called Nonfiction. Uh, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Juliette Binoche. Juliette Binoche is a TV actor. Chris Webb writes parenthetically, scum of the earth, huh, Tom? Named Selena. She's in a dumb police show that is either called Collision or Collusion. I can't remember, but neither can any of her friends because they always call it the wrong one. (laughs) I forget the context, but late in the movie, the name of another famous actress is mentioned, 
Juliette Binoche. Uh, so my favorite fake celebrity is Juliette Binoche pretending to not be Juliette Binoche in Ocean a world 12. where Juliette Binoche exists. That – oh, it's the personal shopper director. I should have known. That, Chris Webb writes, is Oliver Assayas for you. Uh, he was my favorite uh, orangutan of Planet of the Apes. I've never <laughs> seen an Oliver Assayas movie, I don't think. Dingus, you love personal shopper, right? So that's oh, our Brando yeah, is yeah. in it. I'm yeah. crazy about that because it has our Keely modern. Hazel one? It has our modern uh, Marlon Brando in it. Right. Uh, oh yeah, Charlie's Angels, Dingus, Kristen Stewart. Get ready. Wait, what? That's a thing. It's a new movie directed by Elizabeth Banks. Oh well, okay. All you got to do is watch the Pitch Perfect directed. two and three to see where that's going. Yeah. Elizabeth Banks plays Bosley in it, and Kristen Stewart is the only famous angel. <laughs> That's wrong on so many levels. I am unhappy with that. Elizabeth Banks, Bosley. Here we go. Finally, Nick D says... Brando. Hi, guys. Number three. In the movie Music and Lyrics, Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore... This sounds like something Dingus would love. Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore play songwriters... Play songwriters who are desperate to get a break. They manage to sell their song to a Britney Spears-esque pop star played by a young Haley Bennett. She's pitch perfect, uh, no pun intended, oh, yeah, 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 at, play, yeah. at playing the shallow young pop star who thinks she's just discovered spirituality and expresses it by dancing around in a bikini in her yeah. videos. Uh-huh. Look about a Buddha. It's like a Buddha song. It's She's crazy hot in it. It's worth it just to watch her dance. It's, All right. Really music good. and lyrics. Okay. You're a Haley Bennett fan, and she's kind of like our Leah Sadu a little bit. Who's Haley little... Bennett? She's the girl from uh... – the girl on the train, and and uh, she's the girl from uh, Hardcore Henry. She's the one at the end of the beginning. Not registering for me. I'm thinking of Haley. She's Atwell. in uh, Magnificent Seven, the remake. Uh, okay, I guess I vaguely remember. See, okay. girl on the train, Hardcore Henry. She's like a, a sexy blonde girl. All right, okay. She's no Ashley Henshaw, I'm sure. Musical uh, lyrics is actually pretty good. She's uh, got the J Lore. It's directed by a guy named Mark Lawrence. And it's that uh, he did that Morgans movie. Did you hear about the Morgans? I always wanted to see that, and I keep forgetting. And it's oh, the th- oh God, no! That's yeah, I've seen that. That's terrible. Why would you want to see You've that? You've seen it? Yeah, it looks so I haven't weird. seen it. Yeah. Why it did I see like, it? No, I saw like, that. That's a. It doesn't. Just protection. Yeah, they go to like Sam Elliott, Sam Elliott, and uh, Mary Steenburgen. Are they, are they like the older couple? Yeah, why did I watch that? Come and a on, bear's chasing him. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, there's bear. You're gonna get killed by a bear. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as good as Radiation Bear's appearance in Chernobyl Diaries, though. What is? That's that's that, true. That bar's too high. It'll never. Be. Nick D's be number bar. two pick. Bear's too high. In Hail Caesar, the Coens found Alden Ehrenreich to play Hobie Doyle, who is given a role in a dramatic movie only because he's famous from B-level cowboy movies. Watching Ray Fine, oh Nick D spelling Ray Fine's R-A-F-E. I don't know if he's trolling us. Watching Ray Fine try to get him to say "Would that it were so simple" is one of the great gifts to movies that the Coens have given us. Wait, isn't it twood? Uh, would that it, or that it were. Would that it twer? Yeah, it's twer is the part that he gets hung up on. Uh, let's say, okay, say, uh, would that it twer so simple, tripply, and then he says, change the line. Says the word trippingly. He's like, and I love, I love too when he's when he's uh, imi- when he's mimicking uh, Ray hand movements, and Ray Fiennes, like slaps yeah. his hands, like stop moving your yeah, hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's dude, he's like clearly lost his cool. And he didn't mean to slap his hands, and he has to pull himself back from that. But it's like. <laughs> 
I was kind of bummed when the whole movie was in that scene. Like, right. Oh, there's a, there's too much other movie. It's like Dead Don't Die. I forgot that moment. Totally. And then Nick D's final pick. This is awesome. Uh, again, Anna Faris, Lost in Translation, plays a movie star who flirts with Scarlett Johansson's photographer boyfriend. She's so good at playing the dim but friendly California girl type, and I particularly love the scene where Scarlett Johansson watches her answer inane interview questions at a Japanese press junket. It's amazing yeah. that that the people who chose that didn't pick Bill Murray. Well, that's what I thought you were going to do, Dingus. Is I uh, yeah like. Because, I mean, he's great in that, and it's, uh, you know, he's basically playing himself, but that's part of why he's great in that. Uh, right. Yeah, I'm surprised. Alden Ehrenreich should make a video where he's on the set of Solo, and someone's trying to get him to say, like, <laughs> never tell me the odds, and he can't say it a bunch of times. <laughs> Never tell me the odds. No, yeah, I want to see Ron Howard slapping his hands from moving. Yeah. And, <laughs> telling him. and then finally, like, oh, God, this kid's terrible. Why All do right. think he'd play on solo from Hail Caesar? Ugh. Do you guys know uh, Bill Murray's name in Lost in Translation? Chet Fibbins? It, it is the most generic. I had to look this up. It is the most generic celebrity name. Bob Harris. <laughs> Wait, but, I mean, really, when you think he's supposed to be someone, well, he's supposed like, to be Bill Murray. I mean, when you think Bill Murray, like that's a pretty generic name Bob too. Murray. We're just used to hearing it as referring to Bill Murray. Uh, yeah, that's true. I guess you're right about that. Yeah, good point. I can't remember a time when I didn't think of the words Bill Murray. Right. It's pedestrian. As be, yeah. Uh, uh, runners up, then. What do you guys got? I got a few. Anything? Uh, I do. I've got one that I really, really liked that. I just watched uh, the other night with a friend of mine um, that I almost picked, but <sighs> this guy's just on the verge of celebrity, so it's not going to quite work. And this is a movie called Song One, uh, <laughs> which is from with 2000- Jigsaw. Gotcha. No, no, from 2014. Uh, it has Anne Hathaway in it. She's really good. But and it has Mary Seenbergen, which uh, which Tom just brought up, um, which I I think you had said that you'd worked with her at one point on that um, Amber Heard. Uh, no, no, no. I, I wish no. Uh, I uh, uh, Joe Montana was asking. I said something about being from Arkansas, and he said, "Oh, do you know Mary?" And I had no idea what he's talking about, and made a oh, I was like, "I don't." Because he explained. Friend. Mary Steenburgen, because she's from Arkansas. Because right, yeah. everybody from Steenburgen. See, you could get from her. Arkansas knows you. <laughs> um, so, uh, you're Christopher Lloyd. I, I just really, I, I loved Song One. I think it really works really well. Are you saying the words uh, Song One? Song One. Okay. O-N-E. Not W O N. Basically, it's, it's about. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if, <laughs> if, if you're, it, it's it's very much along the lines of. Um, I think you do. Of <laughs> no, of of, of 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 like once and begin again. It has that vibe to it. Uh, it has that musical vibe to it. And the and the character I would have chosen is this is the character James Forrester, who's played by this musician named Johnny Flynn. And Johnny Flynn is about is in pre-production now. Who knows what the hell that means? Um, when you see that on IMDb and hear news about it, but supposedly the movie is in pre-production for him to play David Bowie. 
Uh, but he's been in a bunch of stuff. But he's a really good musician. He has a really cool-looking guitar. Uh, he's just got a really sweet vibe to him. And uh, and he and Anne Hathaway get along. I mean, they just have a really nice chemistry to them. It, it really works well. And this almost replaced that thing you do because of their chemistry. Because at the end of that thing you do, there's this kissing scene where you can just tell the actors are like just mashing their lips together. Uh, and they're both attractive people, uh, but they just, you just get this feeling like they're not interested. Um, but Johnny Flynn and Anne Hathaway, um, have a spark to them between them. And there's something about a love scene between two actors who have chemistry that really is okay. Yeah. I'm on this. I'm on board for, for this. Uh, and song one, um, Sung Won has that kind of chemistry to it. And he's just, uh, he's a really laid back, um, gentle kind of a guy. And uh, kind of at a crisis in his career because he, he's an indie artist who has achieved a, modic, uh, a, a medium level of celebrity. Um, and then is kind of, writers blocked as to far to, as 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 far to how to write more songs basically um and they kind of they kind of work together to make that work and there's this other sort of family tragedy that's going on at the same time but uh but song one is really worth watching um i really 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 liked it and he reminds me actually of an older looking uh, Michael Pitt, which was another one of my runners up, uh, having played Tommy Gnosis in Hedwig. Oh yeah, uh, right, right. And um, he 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 just he just calls him to mind as like a little more battle scarred than than that character at that time in Hedwig. Uh, and so I almost picked uh, Michael Pitt as Tommy Gnosis. Um, and I think those are the only two I've got. You guys go. Uh, did you? Does either of you? I know I've told you guys about this movie before. Probably haven't pushed it hard enough because I think it, it's not great, but I, I love a lot about it and think you would appreciate it. Uh, a guy named William Monaghan wrote and directed a movie called London Boulevard with Colin Farrell and Kieran Knightley. Does either of you know that one? No, but I'd watch that. London it's, Boulevard. That's not the one that Kelly refused to finish. That's London. That's just straight up London. That's just London. Yeah. All right. So London Boulevard, and the the problem uh, with London Boulevard, it's it's got a lot of style, but it, it. So London Boulevard opens with "Stop me if you've heard this before." Uh, there's a guy getting out of prison, and his buddy picks him up and says, "Hey, I got a job for you." And he's like, "No, I want to go straight." And his buddy's like, "Oh, okay, it's gonna be hard. If you change your mind, come see me." And then things happen, and the guy has to come see his buddy, and then he has to go back into a life of crime, and he's pulled that way. So this is one of those movies. <laughs> um, so it's yeah. like Ant Man. It's like right. Ant Man. It's like Dragged Across Concrete. It's like Brawl and Cell Brock '99. It's like every movie. It's like Baby uh, Cape Fear, Baby Driver. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, London Boulevard. Colin Farrell gets out of prison, and uh, 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 Ben Chaplin is his greasy buddy who picks him up and drives him back into town and says, "Hey, there's a place you can stay, uh, but I need you to come on these runs with me to pick up uh, money for a loan shark that, that I work for." Exactly right. Yeah. 
Uh, and Colin Farrell's like, I, I don't want to do that. I, I'm not going back in. And, and by the way, the whole point of London Boulevard, like it, it's it's a kind of a cliched script. He gets wrapped up in uh, this criminal life. He's trying to go straight. But the, the, the core of the movie is he's trying to get – he gets a job as a bodyguard for a celebrity played by uh, Kira Knightley. Who's basically playing Kira Knightley, um, but this celebrity, this woman, this young actress, has kind of had a breakdown and retreated into her house on London Boulevard, uh, and is kind of uh, early on she's described as having a Howard Hughes kind of thing, or she's becoming a recluse. Uh, so he is her bodyguard to basically drive paparazzi away from the property. Um, and that's the job that he goes and takes. And naturally, of course, they fall in love with each other. I'm not a big Kira Knightley fan. I can see her appeal. No one is but me. I'm her only apologist. Well, I, <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm nuts about her. I think, I, I think oh, a lot yeah. of people – and I love, I love her in London Boulevard though because she's basically playing herself but with an added touch of vulnerability and, and openness. And uh, so I, I really and, – and also the, – so the whole appeal of London Boulevard is basically just how flat-out charismatic and sexy the two of them are. Uh, and William Monaghan – gives it this great sort of 70s London gangster vibe, and it's got a wonderful soundtrack. Uh, and uh, the, my David Thewlis is uh, Kira Knightley's basically like a hippie friend who she keeps around on the property, uh, and he's amazing. And like David Thewlis had, couldn't catch a break after Naked. He's so phenomenal in that Mike Lee movie that everything afterwards is a huge disappointment with perhaps the exception of London Boulevard. Like, London Boulevard fully appreciates what makes David Thewlis tick, what is cool about him, how to put that guy on screen, what sort of lines to give him. So, uh, London, Kira Knightley's celebrity in London Boulevard, but I didn't, I mean, she's basically just playing herself, which is why I wouldn't have chosen that for one He of was mine. terrifying in Wonder Woman, though. Oh, it's the God of War. Oops, spoiler. Yeah. Uh, and the same also with uh, how Adam. How is she going to beat that guy? The it's same also. She with can't. Adam Sandler in, in Funny People, where he's just playing himself, but there's that element of openness. And if you're someone who appreciates Adam Sandler through things like Punch Drunk Love or uh, the – not Horowitz Chronicles. What's that movie called? Meyerowitz, Meyerowitz Chapters. Yeah, yeah. He is good at that. So when you watch him in Funny People and you – you know, and he's obviously playing a, an actor who's just made a huge success through dopey comedic movies, uh, there's – just kind of a different appeal watching him in that. Oh, and also in that Jason Schwartzman playing a dumb TV actor star. Uh, uh, I like his dumb character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. And it's like Almost he's on a series. Most. He's on a he's on a series called Teach, where he's the the hip teacher <laughs> to the, the students. This movie sounds great. I got to be honest. Sounds She's exciting. actually really good, and I just brought this up. She's really good in Begin Again. I, I don't know that it's a movie for either of you two but because it's more musically oriented. And I know that you guys hate things like La La Land and that kind of thing. Um, but Begin Again has this great... And hot uh, actresses. I has this great kind of thing going on. Haley Steinfeld is in it. Mark Ruffalo is in it. Um, and it's just kind of a real nice... It's just a nice kind of... Uh, once. I guess I'll try anything thing. once, as long as it's not a rom. Well, Kira Knightley's a star for a reason. I mean, she's got she's yeah. done great period yeah. dramas and stuff, and I I just am not as nuts about. It. I, you know what? The thing is, probably after appreciating London Boulevard, I would appreciate some of her other movies more as well. So. I like her in the Jane Austen. 
Uh, do you guys remember who plays the celebrity in that dopey uh, Enter the Mind of a Killer movie, Identity? The Cusack one? Yeah. Oh, no, the new thing. No, the Wait, Cusack one. one. Yeah. John Cusack, uh, Ray Liotta is the cop, and it turns out they're all the same person. You know what yeah. I'm talking about. I, I like I it more than you do. I'm more of an I identity. think of it as a, as a, uh, as a Clea Duvall movie. Isn't she in that? Um, probably. Oh, I might be wrong about that. No, you're yeah, probably. But the one I just remember Rebecca De Mornay being. Uh, she gets uh, killed super early, but she's supposed to be like a super oh, famous yeah. celebrity, that, and everybody knows who she is. Um, she's the Janet Lee of identity. There you go. Right. Uh, uh, there's a terrible movie called. Actually, uh, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, there's a movie called Broken Star, um, which. Uh, a fellow named Tyler Labine is a comedic actor, and I know him from a movie called Tucker and Dale uh, versus Evil. Uh, and he was also the only reason to watch that terrible Escape Room movie. Uh, I, I find <laughs> I find Tucker Labine uh, uh, fascinating. So he's in this movie called Broken Star, which is about a celebrity who apparently had some sort of a, a breakdown or an incident. So she's been a court-ordered house arrest for like 30 days and she has to wear an ankle bracelet but because she's famous and a celebrity they have to put her in some obscure house and keep it secret where nobody knows where she is and what this does is it lets the movie film in just this really pedestrian location <laughs> with this idea that oh here's a famous Britney Spears style celebrity in this just dumpy little house but uh, Tyler Levine Tyler Levine plays the uh basically the caretaker of the house who's this super weird nerdy guy who won't make eye contact with her it it's not a comedic role at all he's basically playing a kind of a, a psycho but he means well uh, and at any rate the celebrity is played by and bless her heart she tries so hard but the script is so dumb the celebrity is played by a woman with these um, an amazing pair of enormous eyes named Annalie Tipton uh, and I love Anna Lee Tipton, and she's just, just, I mean, she's got those Attila battle angel eyes without, it looks like Mila Kunis eyes. Attila. Um, <laughs> did you uh, dig us? Yeah, I did. Alita, excuse me, Alita battle, whatever. 61. I don't know, I don't know uh, anime. You're, right. you're quoting I love it. <laughs> yeah, but, Attila battle. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, Tom, you're making a good point. I didn't mean to derail it. But it's, it's Anna Lee like, Tipton. Basically Genghis, playing. Genghis uh, of the I like when you paint in the corners. <laughs> Thoughts. All right, so it's other other color. runners up. Uh, I like the um, Al my balls guy from Idiocracy, kind of. Is he a celebrity? Yeah, I, I guess the, in that universe, oh, sure. Yeah. That's actually not a bad. That's a pretty good choice, actually. He's a like and, a like a YouTube celebrity. He's benign. Or... Yeah, but his his persona in, in RL is super benign and like, thank you, I'm honored, thank you. And then someone will kick him in the balls. But on the show, he's just screaming the whole time. <laughs> but then in RL, he's just very, thank you. It's an honor. I really, like, he almost seems too smart for the idiocracy premise. Like, he seems like a like a genuinely talented actor who's just forced to do that. Because of, I like that runner-up, actually. I think that's a, I think that's good. I mean, he's barely in it. Well, but it's, it's. A comment on internet celebrity and it's not too on the nose it's not like he's like uh like alan rickman in galaxy quest like ah, i'm shakespearean and liquid he's just more like he's just chill and there's like no reason to kick him in the balls i think it's the joke that i like like he's just a normal thanks appreciate your support thank you ah well, it's, uh, a, it's a it's a comment on that 
show, uh, what is it, Jack? Uh, Jackass? Jackass. It's a comment on Jackass, basically. Yeah, I guess uh, so. Brian De Palma's latest movie is an utter disaster. It's crap. I've never called, heard that before. It's called Domino, and uh, several things are, are uh, obvious in Domino. One of them is uh, Nicholas... Nicholas Coster Waldau is not cut out for a movie career. Uh, another thing that's wow. obvious, Brian. Do- I mean, you seriously? He's, he's good in, uh, the, in what? Uh, Headhunters. Well, that's that's pre Game of Thrones though. That's before he anybody knew who he was. Yeah, he's excellent in Headhunters. But look at the things he's done since Headhunters. Uh, what? Oh, uh, well, uh, Domino. Really do Mother Woman, which was he like. in Mother or what? What was the movie? What was no. the horror movie? He was so, in a horror movie. Um, oh yeah, Ma, Ma, Mother, Ma. Yeah, the thing about with Jessica That's Chastain. It. Exactly, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. He's he's been in some terrible, forgettable oh, things. He was in. Uh, he he was in a. Hey, I just got out of prison. I'm trying to go straight. Movie, uh, which was terrible. Called. I forget what that was called. Um, but he's in. He's he's the lead actor in Brian De Palma's latest movie, Domino, which is a horrible taste. It it's a movie about how. Uh, <laughs> If you let brown ter- people come to your country, they will yeah. inflict terrorism on it. That, that's yeah. pretty much the subtext. It's about how, oh, these permissive Scandinavian countries, they don't monitor immigration, so it's super easy for terrorists to come there and do terrible things. Fortunately, cop Nicholas Koster-Waldau is on the case, and he'll stop them. But why? the plot in this is that these – and they're all like – Typical, just stereotypical cartoon Arabic villains. These terrorists yeah. engineer uh, an, an, a terrorist attack on a, a film festival. Uh, and this one, I think, is in Amsterdam. And, <laughs> oh, De Palma. And, and what they do is they get one of their wives to put on a suicide vest and take an automatic rifle and wear like a GoPro camera and then attack the red carpet uh, line uh, at this film uh, festival, while they watch from TV, from a remote camera, and they're streaming it to the internet, and they're giving her instructions about, okay, no, go left, go shoot those people. Okay, now walk over there, and they finally tell her, you know, detonate your suicide vest, and she blows herself up. So this is what filthy terrorists will do, of course. They're all Arabs. We all know that. They They'll sacrifice their the wives carpet. for this. But there's oh. a moment where there's clearly, and I have to wonder if there's any Brian De Palma baggage here, where clearly it's supposed to be the starlight, like some famous lady celebrity, a blonde woman is on the red carpet, and the Arab terrorist singles her out and says, oh, go shoot that woman. And so there's the shot from the angle of the, the camera that the terrorist lady is wearing, where she walks up and shoots just some, it's obviously supposed to be someone super famous, but shoots this woman in the head, like very graphically, Shoots her in the head and then detonates her suicide vest and blows up. And, you know, all these <laughs> things that these charges that have been leveled against De Palma, I feel often unfairly about him doing violent things to women. Like, that's really weird to watch a movie in which Brian De Palma violently dispatches a famous blonde actress. Like, there, like I would think that he would maybe add some sort of meta there, like in, in uh, 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 Blow Up or Blow Out. Uh, where it starts with him sort of making fun of slasher movies, but it's just really weird and uncomfortable to see him shoot a movie where a famous blonde celebrity gets her head blown off. Uh, I like him, but he's kind of dumb too, Tom. Like he made Phantom of the Paradise. 
Ew, man. Clay Tall's kind of dumb. Like, yeah. I like him. I think he's a really good filmmaker. Well, I, I, when he's I good, you're he's... expecting too much of his brain. Well, when he's good, he's saying. great. But, like, what? I think <laughs> yeah. he's just, like, lost touch. Like, what else has he done lately? Nothing. And even when he was good, he... Put it this way. I like The Fury, but it's retarded. I mean, come on. But he had a really Paul, solid... Paul is not our Melville. So. No, but he had a really solid stretch of, of inheriting yeah. the sort of thing that Hitchcock was doing, is what I was going to say. Right, yeah. but lamer. He wasn't better. I like him, but he's not – like even the his best movies wouldn't – like this doesn't even sound like his worst movie. Well, here, no, here's the thing is uh, uh, Domino is, is pretty much inept. Like it feels like something made for yeah. TV that a first-time director – it feels like something who didn't know his way around a set or how to edit a movie or how to score a movie. Even the music in this is just so out of sorts. It just feels like someone who has no experience making movies. Uh, well, just, Tarantino well, said – What happened like, to him from The, the Untouchables then? They I mean. get old. When directors get older, they suck. They're not as good, including Hitchcock. Family Plot and Frenzy are not the high point of Hitchcock. <laughs> is, there, is there a sense of – because what you're describing, the way you're describing it, Tom, it sounds like – She's an avatar in a video game, and they're directing yeah. her around in that oh, way. Yeah, sounds like gibberish. Well, like I, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's a video game commentary, but it's definitely that's how it plays. Is that? And the funny thing is too, like to the the, the terror, they're they're just three. They look like guys from Central Casting. Hey, we need swarthy terrorist-looking people, and they're in a room and they're watching this happen. And when the lady detonates her suicide vest. These three actors, and they obviously they don't know what they're doing. One of them does like a golf clap like that. What? Uh, and then while the other two do an Allahu Akbar, and then the guy who's doing the golf clap like stops and goes, "Oh, I should probably do that." Like it's like Brian De Palma said, "Okay, now just celebrate like like." It Islamic sounds like a John Landis. It sounds like End of the Night. Or it, it, it it really does, Kelly Wan, but unintentionally. Like to watch them, you know, they've just obviously pulled off this this 9/11 for them, and to watch one of the actors go, yeah, it's just it's like what Weird. really Brian De Palma? Yeah. That's what you're. <laughs> but I think that defangs the misogyny you're talking about because it's just dumb all over. No, right, like, right. It's not, no, no, and I'm not, not even. I, I'm just saying it feels like it, it. A more clever Brian De Palma would make there be a meta statement in that. As um, it is, it's just icky. Uh, but well, you know, that's the only time he came close to saying something. But it's not though. The scream at the end of Blowout, where John Travolta, you know, uses Nancy Allen's scream for the movie, like the bookends of that, where there's this slasher movie. Yeah, and the, I guess that's true. But like I feel that, like he got lucky. Like he lucked onto it. Maybe, maybe he got lucky. But that's just a remarkable bit of meta and observation yeah. about violence towards women and uh, and it being exploited. Uh, and it's if somebody it, does that once out of their whole. I, career, you know, I, I think things like well. yeah, you know, Raising Cain has some cool stuff in it, uh, and you know, I think a lot of people like Mission Dress to Kill certainly too. Come on, Brian De Palma, yeah, I, you've got to give him credit for when he does great stuff. Uh, well, the and Untouchables, matters, yeah. as always. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and Untouchables is a good example of the script mattering too. Yeah, Mission to Mars. <laughs> Dude, see, there's all right. See, I like you do what I do, where you like give the opponent a point. Like, here, I'm going just to just be you. awesome. Yeah, here, right. here, douchebag. I, right. I can make a better point, your point better. All right, so if there are any other run-ups, then if, are there? If not, Kelly Wan, you're uh, up. Oh, how exciting. Are you excited? What was I, my last one? Partly you... excited, a little bit of trepidation as usual. Oh, good. That's, that's healthy. Um, well, I just want to say that I feel like people – 
cynics of the podcast say that we're running out of topics, <laughs> burned out, and that, you know, that mine are stupid. And I just want to say that that's preposterous because cinema is a very fertile field of three by three topics, and we'll never we'll never run out. It's a cornucopia, Tom. Creatively, I consider it's the most Three creative forces on the internet. Three best oceans. I was just high. That doesn't count. Um, but, you know, we've done three best soups. So that's off. We crossed that off the old bucket list. So I was thinking uh, three best sandwiches in movies. Sandwiches. You couldn't even get the word out. You yeah, it sounded, it sounded too stupid to say. It's a sandwich, sandwich, sandwiches. Just do some sandwiches in movies. Yeah. All right. Sandwiches and movies. Yeah. Kelly one, what if listeners are listening to this and like, oh, I know a great movie sandwich. What should they do? Do you like watching movies where people eat sandwiches? <laughs> Find the three ones that you like the best and email them in to three x three at quarter to three dot com and I will misread them poorly on the internet and they'll be there forever for everyone to hear. I think you picked this. Your name. I think you picked this because sandwiches aren't a staple of the Japanese diet and therefore there's not gonna be a lot of anime. <laughs> Sushi is technically uh, has, a sandwich. Tom has thrown down the gauntlet. I like this very much. <laughs> well, it's on them to find it, you know. I'm so get that to out. us uh, by July 29th. Send it to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. That's com. so much time. And so Kelly Wan, to your credit, time. I have a great one. So I'm, I'm looking forward I've to this. I have a good one, yeah, too. I, yeah. I have a great one, too. Yeah. I've, got so, my number, I've already got my number one. That's well, great. dingus, don't say it. Come on. You, you might think of a better one. Don't, don't oh, commit yet. Dingus point, is a foodie, so they always play to dingus. Right? Zone. Exactly. Also, yeah. I would like to think this is something dingus, even dingus can't break like he breaks – he broke a lot of things tonight. He's They're all going to be Rome. Fucking Godzilla lately. Yeah, we'll see which TV show sandwiches. Were sandwiches invented in Star Wars? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I think that they've no. been phased out by the time Star Trek rolled around. So. No, I think in Star Wars they had blue milk sandwiches. Nope, not a sandwich, Dingus. Not a sandwich. Dang it. Yeah. Also, a hot dog is not a sandwich. Hey, hey, hey! Whoa, 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 whoa! You save that for the you save that for the police. No police action before the actual three by three, Kelly Wand. Let me just say this: I was doing my sandwich list, and then I went, "Oh wait, that's a hot dog." And then I went, "Wait, hot dogs is good." And then I started thinking of a hot dog one. I'm not sure. Well, you know what? We'll just see what happens on uh, July. You're not sure what a hot dog is. Is that what well, you're going to say? We'll find what out. Where's that sentence going? We're going to find what you're going to say? All right, you better finish that sentence. I don't – I don't. I, I think it's folly to say a, a hot dog is not a sandwich. A, a hot dog is – yes, it is a sandwich, Kelly Wand. What's your deal? No, because the bun is in one piece. I can't believe this is happening is right now. A pita is a sandwich. A gyros is uh, a sandwich. An Oreo is a sandwich, yes. No, it's not because it doesn't dog. have meat in the middle. A sandwich is not a sweet thing. It's a savory thing. Is ice, is ice cream a sandwich? What about a falafel? That doesn't have meat. Yep, sandwich. Well, that doesn't have meat in the middle. Well, it's a meatish substance. What about an Impossible Burger? <laughs> is that a sandwich? Kelly One, I think you should save this for the three by three. Oh! What about a human body, Tom? That's a sandwich for a cannibal. <laughs> Skins the bread. Send your favorite sandwiches to 3x3 at quarter3.com. Not by the 29th. I'm sorry, I lied. By the 28th of July, midnight oh, Pacific. Fuck. We will read them on the air. What are we watching next week? Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Come on. Spider- that was an easy uh, question. It was a softball. It was underhanded. You couldn't even hit it. Why do they have it. home in the subtitle? Swing and a miss, Kelly Far From Home? 
Why is home? If you see Spider-Man Far From Home, and I know you're going to, don't pretend you aren't. Let us know what you thought. Send us your thoughts at 3x3 at quarter3.com with a separate email from your sandwiches. Don't mix your sandwiches with your Spider-Man. Get that to us by July 7th, midnight Pacific. We'll read your comments. We'll include your comments in the conversation. Spider-Man, home cooking. Join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Mardofsky. It's Christian Mardofsky. And Kelly Wand. Did we already do three best exit signs in movie theaters? One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, Peter Pan, Mary Free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves What about three best Scottish animal stomachs? I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. What about three best numbers? Uh, I always told him to look both ways. Classic Dingus. <laughs> <laughs>